and we are on air. It is tonight, um, Thursday night, September the 1st, and uh, we are live on Fan for Racing Radio. Tonight we're going to be uh, covering our Darlington, DeCoin, NASCAR Weekend Preview with our Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. We got racing throughout the country. We got Darlington, South Carolina. We got the West Series in Portland. We got the Arca East Series in Decoyna, Illinois. So all throughout the country, and we get to talk about it as well as hot topics. I know we got some good hot topics again tonight. <laughs> and another full house. <clears throat> oh, good so, deal, good deal. Uh, yes. Definitely looking forward to our Hot Topics at 10. But before we get there, we're going to start with some short track news and uh, indicate some upcoming races. We'll also preview the Arkham Menard Series and Sioux Chief Showdown that will be taking place at the Coin Fairgrounds this weekend, as well as the Arca West Race at Portland International Raceway, followed by some updates on the Arca East. Uh, next, we're going to uh, do our media interview with Kyle Larson, he's the NASCAR Cup Series driver of the number five Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, and uh, we'll follow that up with a few of our comments, as well as some updates from the Truck Series, who are off track this weekend. Uh, then at 9:30, we'll get into our Xfinity Series and then our Cup Series playoff race at Darlington Raceway. So 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topics sound off with the Fan for Racing crew. And uh, we've got a lot here to talk about, Jay. Uh, so starting with uh, the short track news, uh, just a quick update. It was Junior Motorsports Day out at uh, North Wilkesboro this week when Travis Quapple outdueled Mason Diaz and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, to win in front of 20,000 fans. They had a full house. They did, and, it, you know, I know Dale Earnhardt Jr. running uh, had some to do with that, but they have been out there to support this revitalization in North Wilkesboro, and they got rewarded for it. I mean, to see Dale Earnhardt mm-hmm. Jr. race with a teammate, Carson Cavapo, we've been hearing his name uh, more and more here recently, and I think we're going to even more down the road. Yes, it's it's really amazing uh, that uh, – uh, we finally saw this happen out at North Wilkesboro Speedway. It's been a long time coming. And to see it finally happening and with Dale Jr. at that track, who was very instrumental in making that happen, uh, he ended up finishing third. His driver finished first, and uh, it really was a big, big night. But there, were another, there was another winner out at uh, Wilkesboro, and that's uh, uh, in the Hickory Limited Late Model uh, that – the leader, Baumgartner, is going to go down in history as one of the winners out there at North Oaksboro uh, this weekend or this week. Well, just Baumgartner. like an inaugural event, yeah, just like an inaugural event, the the last uh, one here in this series um, on asphalt definitely holds some weight when you talk about the history books. So uh, no matter uh, he's making history all on his own, but. Uh, that's going to go down in the history books as part of this North Wilkesboro revitalization. Yes, indeed. Now, there's going to be some other racing that's uh, taking place 
this weekend, including the BAM Street Stock Qualifying uh, at Carolina Speedway, the Mid-East Street Stock V8 at Lakeview, and the Show Me the Money Series Fall Brawl uh, 100 out at Montgomery, and Mid-East Street Stocks at Lakeview, uh, just to name a few of the races that you can watch at uh, at um, Racing America this weekend. And the last thing here, I know, I know we got a lot to cover, and we're going to jump over to floor racing as well. But then coming up as well is the dirt track racing at North Wilkesboro as they tear up the asphalt and run on the dirt that's underneath it. I don't know if they're planning on adding to it, how they're going to work that, but it'll basically be on the dirt that's underneath that. Oh, that's awesome. Amazing. A very versatile track, it sounds like. <laughs> okay. Like I said, I've said before, whoever put this plan together with the, this revitalization package uh, really put together a heck of a package. I believe it starts in October. I was looking for the, the date on the uh, dirt track racing, but I'm not finding that. I believe it's coming up in October, though. Yes, I, could, I think you're right. Okay, also coming up on September 8th to the 10th is the 52nd World 100 out at Eldora Speedway. And uh, 57 drivers have always already filed their entries for that race. So this is going to be uh, another big race out at Eldora Speedway. And uh, the entry list that they have posted over at Flow Racing is as of 8.30. That was yesterday. No, it was two days ago. Uh, and so there's quite a few people that are on this list. I'm kind of going down. Kyle Strickler, I know you, that's a familiar name for you, Jay. Um, the high side tickler. <laughs> yes. He's on the, on the uh, entry list here. Justin White, Billy Moyer's on the list. Uh, there's quite a few. I'm trying to go down real quick here. Jason, Jonathan Davenport. Andrew and that'd be Superman, Superman Jonathan Davenport, uh, definitely the one to look for this weekend. He picked up the million dollar there uh, prior to the dream. Uh, been winning big money races, not just winning, but winning these big money races where there's a lot of uh, cars. You mentioned it already 57 signed in. They'll probably start 24, I would guess. That's normally the range. And it's where they do multiple days of racing just to get qualified and locked in so you don't have to do the hooligan races or the alphabet soup. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mike Marlowe's in this race, too, as well. He's, so, uh, he's been showing up. I believe he's a top five driver in the uh, points uh, for the Lucas Oil late model series. Um, not having the dominating season we've seen from him before. And Jimmy Owens is another one. This is one where you never know. Brandon Overton, uh, another one that comes to mind. Um, so far this year, but uh, right now you've got to look at Jonathan Davenport. Superman's been Superman this year. <laughs> so definitely one to keep your eye on uh, at this race out at uh, Eldora Speedway, the 52nd World 100, uh, and I believe I said that was the 8th through the 10th. So if you can get out to Eldora Speedway, I would highly recommend it for this race. I would recommend getting out to Eldora at any point, but yeah, the, the Dream and the, and the World 100 are two of the ones you definitely want to check off, especially if you're a late model fan. 
I know when I visited Eldora, unfortunately, the timing was different. It was for the truck series, but just to see, that's one of those facilities, just to walk into that place, uh, to feel the history, the awe of it, um, and what Tony Stewart has done with it since taking over has been just absolutely amazing. It really has been. And and keep in mind that at both Racing America and Flow Racing, if you're looking for a race to watch, they have the full schedule of the weekend up at both of those locations. And uh, trust me, you're not going to be uh, uh, hurting uh, for a race to watch. There are plen- There is plenty of racing to watch at Flow Racing and Racing America, so definitely check that out. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move over here to the Arca Menard series. Uh, the Arca West, let me see, which one of these is racing first? Um, well, while you're looking for that, Sharon, one more thing there I wanted to say, and I know Tony Stewart takes pride in this. If you're at Eldora, it doesn't cost you a fortune to eat. Their concession stand prices are 3 and $4. You get the burger and fries and everything um, mm-hmm. that – it, it doesn't break you to have to eat at the track. And they, let me tell you, they got some great food. The country fried steaks and the pizza burgers, highly recommended personally. <laughs> All right. Uh, there you have it from Jay Huseman. Okay, now on Saturday, September the 3rd, the ARCA Portland 112 will take place out at Portland International Raceway at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time. That's 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. It will be available for live streaming over at Flow Racing, but there will be a delayed broadcast Friday, September the 16th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also listen to radio coverage over at ARCARacing.com. Now, the track layout is a 12-turn, 1.967-mile road course. They'll be racing 57 laps. Friday, September the 2nd, they'll have practice from 6.05 to 7.05, uh, PM local time. Then Saturday, September 3rd, they have qualifying from 1.30 to 2.05 PM Pacific time. And the race again starts at 5.35 local time. So, uh, there is a lot to look forward to at this race. Uh, this is the second time this season that the Arkham and Art Series is racing out of Portland International Raceway. Uh, the race is also the seventh serves as the eighth event of the Arkham Menard Series West season, also the third and final road course event of the series, uh, and it's being held in conjunction with the NTT IndyCar Series as part of the Grand Prix of Portland. So the IndyCar Series will be there as well. But who are some of the drivers uh, that we need to watch for? I, I, I guess we start with Jake Drew, but I've got a feeling uh, we're going to mention a few others as well. Well, you got to start with Jake Drew as he enters the race as the West Series championship leader, as well as the most recent race winner at Portland when he picked up the victory at the track earlier this year in an event that one was unfortunately shortened by rain. Now, Taylor Gray triumphed in the Tour's inaugural visit to the track during the 2021 season. But there is some uh, other battles going on behind as we look at with four point or four races left in the West Series, Drew appears headed for his Maiden Series championship. He's going to look to build on a 44-point advantage uh, in the West Series standings this weekend when the series returns to Portland. Now, he scored his first West Series triumph earlier this year at the road course in a rain-soaked 
great uh, event. He also look, he'll look to sweep the season at Portland this Saturday afternoon while padding that championship lead. Now, several drivers are looking to stop Drew from doing that, including Bill and McAnally's racing Cole Moore, who continues his hunt for his first West Series victory. Todd Souza, who finished third earlier this year at Portland, is also expected to be a contender on Saturday afternoon. But then there's also Tanner Ripe. We've had him on the show here earlier uh, after his season win, um, his second win this season. And he's Drew's teammate at Sunrise Racing, and he sits second in the West Series standings. He won the 1,000th race in the Arkham and Art Series history at Evergreen Speedway in Monroe, Washington, on August the 20th, and he's looking for his third win of the season this Saturday. Davey Magras, a former crew member and veteran sports car club of America competitor, will make his West Series debut with his own equipment on Saturday. He's entered at Portland, as well as uh, Bridget Burgess, Landon Lewis, Joey East, among several others. Uh, so we'll take a look at that entry list, going from the bottom up. All right, make sure I got the West. There we go. Uh, for the West Series, you mentioned the 99, that'll be Cole, Cole Moore out of Orangeville, California, in the McAnally Chevrolet, Mario Isola as his crew chief. And then the Burgess family, number 88, Bridget Burgess, the driver out of Brisbane, Australia, this Sarah Burgess doing the crew chief as the owner uh, for that Chevrolet with HMH construction on the uh, car. Okay. And the number 85 will be Vince Little from Madera, California. He'll be driving the Herzog Roofing Tour Quality Construction Chevrolet, uh, and it'll be Daryl Herzog on top of the pit box for him. And also out of Madera, California, and the number 54 is Joey East. He'll be driving the Richwood Meets Basilla Farms Ford for Mike Naki, and uh, he'll also Mike Naki will also be the crew chief for that team. Then you got Ryan Philpot in a cell phone number fifty-two out of Livermore, California, Livermore, California, in a Toyota. Chuck Dilger as the crew chief, and the Tuttle Machine Andrew Tuttle as the owner and driver of the number thirty-nine, and it Tanisha as the crew chief got that gearhead gearhead coffee sponsorship coming out of caldwell idaho okay driving the familiar napa auto parts chevrolet for bill mcanally at number number 16 is landon lewis from ocean isle beach north carolina charlie wilson will be on top of his pick box and zach margus margus will be on top of the pit box for uh baby marcus driving the number 14 out of Phoenix, Arizona. He'll be driving that Advanced Auto Works Corner Racing Engine Chevrolet uh, for his family's team. Then you got Michael Munoz calling the shots for the Kelly Souza-owned and Todd Souza-driven number 13 Toyota coming out of Aramis, California, Central Coast Cabinets. And then you mentioned the number 9 Rincati Ford, is Tanner Rife comes out of Henderson, Henderson, Nevada, uh, with Vegas Fastener Manufacturing on that Ford. And Jeff Schrader on the pit box. 
Uh, Danny Moyer will be on top of the pit box for the Jerry Pitts number seven, driven by Takuma Koga from Nagoya, Hitchi, Japan. He'll be driving uh, with sponsor Rise Up on his Toyota. Uh, Jake Drew will be behind his familiar number six Sunrise Racing uh, car, and uh, he comes out of Fullerton, California. Uh, Bill Sedgwick will be on top of the pit box for that board. And then we got the number four, Nascimento, uh, Eric Nascimento-owned machine. Ty Joyner listed as the crew chief. Uh, we don't have a driver yet. I know Eric has well, driven I'll the car before. Well, I'll tell you who before, the driver's so going to be. Looking. Oh, you the, got it. The driver's going to be who we had as a guest on Monday night, uh, and that was uh, Sean Hingarani. So Sean Hingarani will be in that number four car. There we go. I knew there had been some news. Uh, I wasn't seeing it on the sheet here yet, though. Okay. Yeah, it's not. It's listed as a TBA, uh, but he was on our show on Monday night, and he mentioned that he is going to be racing uh, this weekend, and that uh, he is racing for NASA Mental Motorsports. And give you a real quick uh, points update here before I know we got to move to the East Series. Uh, Jake Drew mentioned has a 44-point lead over Tanner Rife. Cole Moore only two more back, and then another eight back is Todd Souza. Those three really going to battle for second through fourth. Uh, take a whole lot of good runs and some bad luck on Jake Drew for them to catch the points leader. But then in fifth is Joey East, Takuma, Takuma Koga, Bridget Burgess, Paul Pedrinasili Jr., who wasn't on the entry list. How about that? Austin yeah. Herzog and Paul Pedrinasili your top ten. Yeah, I just noticed that. Those two weren't on the entry list. Yeah, Paul Pedron Selly um, is is not on that entry list. I was kind of uh, uh, interested that uh, they both of them were not on that entry list this time. Uh, but hopefully we'll see them back on the entry list in some upcoming races. You know, I don't know if that's the one. Both of those did miss one race. I don't know if that's the race they missed earlier in the year either. It might be. It might be, Jay. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on now. Uh, we need to go to, because there's another ARCA race this weekend. It's the ARCA East. And not only is the ARCA East racing, but it's also a Sioux Chief Showdown race uh, out at DuCoin Fairgrounds uh, this weekend. And uh, it's the 42nd trip to to, to DuCoin State Fairgrounds for a potential $50,000 payday. So uh, I know fans are looking, or fans and drivers are looking forward to this race. Uh, it is the Rustoleum Automotive Finishes 100 that will take place Sunday, September the 4th at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, and that will be available for live streaming on MAV TV and Flow Racing, as well as radio coverage over at ARCARacing.com. Again, we're talking about a one-mile dirt oval, and it's 100 laps. Sunday, September 4th, they'll have practice from 4.15 to 5 p.m. local time and qualifying at 6 p.m. with the race at 8 p.m. Now, real quick, I want to make sure we cover uh, some uh, – interesting news uh, that was sent to us uh, about this race and uh, a chance uh oh don't tell me I lost the info here it is 
Okay. Jesse Love uh, has a chance to kind of make a little bit of uh, history here this weekend for that $50,000 payout. I am trying to pull up. I don't know why the link for me okay. won't work here. Uh... When the Arkham and Art Series takes to the – I sent it to you on the uh, Teams app. When the oh, Arkham and Art Series takes to the one-mile dirt oval at the Coin State Fairgrounds for Sunday night's Rosolium, Automotive finishes 100. One driver is racing for an extra $50,000, and that's Jesse Love, who won that opening round of the Performance Feed Dirt Double at Illinois State Fairgrounds just two weeks ago, locking himself in as the only driver eligible for that bonus awarded to the driver who can win both the Arkham and Art Series Dirt Track Races in 2022. So with that win at Illinois State Fairgrounds, he now gets a chance to get another victory at DeCoin uh, for that $50,000 payout. Well, and that's certainly uh, one thing to be racing for. You know, these drivers uh, race for a lot of things, but he's a two-time Arkham and Art Series West Series champion. He earned his second career Arkham and Art Series victory when he held off the furious charge by Venturini Motorsports teammate Buddy Kofoid over the final laps at the Springfield Mile, which is the other dirt race. Now, Kofoid's charge ultimately ended early when he was involved in a crash as they were coming to the white flag uh, that cemented Love's win and locking him in a chance to win this bonus. Now, last time a driver won both the Arkham Menard Series dirt races in the same season was back in 2009 when the current NASCAR and NBC analyst and part-time Camping World Truck Series driver Parker Kligerman swept both Springfield and DuCoin. The race at Springfield was the first time Klingerman had ever raced on dirt. So uh, pretty cool that he was able to pull off that double. I love hearing stories like that. Now, should Love fall short of victory lane on Sunday, that $50,000 bonus uh, will go unclaimed, but the driver with the best average finish between the two dirt races, Springfield and DeCoin, will take home a $5,000 bonus, and that's courtesy of Performance Seed. Okay. Now, uh, I've already kind of covered that other information, so we won't duplicate that. But uh, that's something that uh, uh, I wanted to make sure we covered where that $50,000 was going to go to uh, and that there's only one driver who has a chance to earn that, uh, and that is Jesse Love. Okay, now then, um, uh, headlining the list is a dirt expert, Ryan Unsicker, who finished third at the Springfield Mile. He's also attempting to deliver a, di- a victory for car owner Bill Hendren, who is retiring after Sunday evening's race. Sammy Smith could also be a contender for the $5,000 bonus, should Love not win that race. Smith enters Sunday's race as the most recent series winner after a dominant victory last Sunday afternoon at the Milwaukee Mile. Now, while that bonus money is always a nice addition, the battle for the Arkham Menard Series Championship will also be in focus on Sunday uh, evening as Nick Sanchez, Daniel Dye, and Raja Caruth continue the season-long fight. Uh, the trio have seemingly been attached at the hip the last few weeks, Sanchez continuing to hold just a narrow margin uh, advantage in the standings. Corey Heim, 
is also scheduled to return at Venturini Motorsports for his sixth Arca Menard Series start of the season. Heim is a previous Arca winner on dirt, having triumphed at the Springfield Mile for the Venturini team last season. But we got more dirt info here. Yep, there's a couple of other uh, veteran drivers coming back. Uh, Ken Schrader is back with Andy Hillenberg's Fast Track Racing for his second race of the season. Fast Track Racing will also welcome Joe Cooksley Cooksey, <laughs> uh, back to the Arkham Menard Series for his first start since 2018. Also scheduled to compete in Sunday's event are Taylor Gray, Kelly Kofsky, Amber Balkin, Greg Van Alts, Tony Breidinger, and more. Uh, so let's go ahead and take a look at the entry list here. All right, I'll start at the bottom with the. List. All right, uh, start at the bottom with the 06. Nate Moeller uh, for Wayne Peterson in a Toyota, and then Alex Club in a Ford, his cell phone Ford. The Brian Club crew chiefing that 03, and Wayne Peterson crew chiefing the 06. Okay, Zachary Tinkle will be in his 01. He hails from Seedway, Indiana, and is driving the Racing for Rescue's Fast Track Ford for Hillenburg with Dallas Brew as his crew chief. Bill Kimmel will be on top of the pet box for Will Kimmel in the number 69 E3 Sparks Plug Ford. Uh, They hail from Sellersburg, Indiana. Uh, number 44, that'll be Buck Stevens out of Statesville, North Carolina, in the McClure Racing Ford. Jeff McClure and don't is the owner Brad Smith. Oh, yeah, I missed one. Sorry, the 48. There we go. Skipped up one. Brad Smith in the cell phone, number 48. Jeff Smith is the crew chief on that Chevrolet coming out of Shelby Township, Michigan. Okay, and in the number 43 is Daniel Dye from Dillon, Florida. He'll be driving the Chevrolet Accessories uh, car, and Mari Gallick from GMS Racing and Chad Bryant will be on top of the pit box. Greg Van Alts will be in his familiar number 35, uh, and he's from Anderson, Indiana, driving the CB Fabricating Ford. Jim Long is his pit, is his crew chief. And we got a pair of females. The number 30 in the Mark Rett Ford is Amber Balcane out of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, with the Icon sponsorship. And Pit Viper is the sponsorship for the number 25 Venturini-owned machine, is Tony Bridinger out of Hillsboro, California, with Kevin Reed Jr. as the crew chief. Driving the number 30, 30, I'm sorry, the number 24 is Ryan Unsector, from El Paso, Illinois, the RJR Transportation Hummingbird Winery Chevrolet, uh, Bill Hendren, the owner, will be his crew chief. Also, out of Redwood City, California, is Jesse Love, behind the wheel of the Venturini Number 20 JBL Toyota, Shannon Rush, on top of the pit box. One of the contenders we mentioned, the 18 of Sammy Smith, comes out of Johnston, Iowa, in a TMC Toyota for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Mark McFarlane is the crew chief. And then the David Gill in O number 17, that'll be Taylor Gray out of Denver, North Carolina, with the Ford Performance paint scheme. Chad Johnston calling the shots. Okay, we're going to hear some familiar names here. Kelly Kosky will be behind the wheel of the number 16, Brant Shuckleby, 
Schluckbeyer, Schluckbeyer Farms, Algauer Performance Parts Chevrolet. Uh, they, he hails from Sherman, Illinois, and Grant Enfinger will be his crew chief. In the number 15 for Venturini Motorsports is Corey Heim out of Marietta, Georgia, driving the Mobile One Toyota with Kevin Reed on top of the pit box. The number 12 Hillenburg Chevrolet is Tim Monroe out of Elmwood, Illinois, with Mark Rumbold Farms Riverside sponsorship. List Tim Monroe as his own crew chief. Uh, and then another Hillenburg, the number 11 Ford out of Fenton, Missouri. That'll be the dirt man himself, Ken Schrader, with Mike Schroof as the crew chief. And they got Delrose Holt Racing Associates and the Double H Ranch as sponsorship. Okay, from Centralia, Illinois, driving the number 10 uh, fuel then hot to-go pizza Toyota for Hillenburg is Joe Cooksey, and Dick Dohaney will be on top of his book box. Uh, driving one of the Rev Racing cars is Raja Karuth out of Washington, D.C. He'll be driving the GameBridge Max Siegel Chevrolet as Brad Means on top of the pit box, and we have one more driver to mention. Teammate there under Rev Racing as well as championship contender, the number two, Nick Sanchez, comes out of Miami, Florida, another than Max Siegel Incorporated at Gamebridge Chevrolet, and Matt Boucher is the crew chief there. Okay, uh, real quick, let's uh, at least cover the top five in points. Um, all right, for the Arkham Menard series mentioned, it is Nick Sanchez, 11-point lead now over Daniel Dye. Raja Carruth still in it back at 16 points back. Then you got Greg Van Alst at minus 107 and Tony Breidinger at minus 117. Those two having their own little points battle there in fourth and fifth. Okay, and in the uh, Sioux Chief Showdown, uh, DeCoyne and Bristol are the last two races in this showdown. Uh, so this is the penultimate race before the Bristol finale. Sammy Smith leads the points there at 334, followed by Taylor Gray at 311, Jesse Love at 307, Daniel Dye at 302, and Nick Sanchez at 296. And it continues to be pretty darn tight uh, down through the top ten. But because of time, we're going to kind of uh, forego that for now. But do not miss this race. It's going to be a fun one. Okay. Uh, we're at the top of the hour, and it's time for us to uh, uh, play the audio from the media interview that took place on Monday this week with Kyle Larson, driver, the NASCAR Cup Series driver who has, uh, is the driver of the number five, Hendrick Motorsports uh, Camaro. And uh, uh, he is also one of the playoff uh, players uh, in the uh, Cup Series playoffs. Uh, with Darlington being the first race. So uh, we're going to hear his interview. We'll play about seven, maybe about six or seven minutes of it, and then Jay and I will comment on the other side. So here we go. A few minutes with us before we kick off um, the NASCAR playoffs at Darlington later this weekend. Um, we're going to start with questions just to maximize the time that we have. And to kick us off, we're going to go to Kelly Crandall. Kelly, go ahead with your question for Kyle. Thank you. Kyle, you got me? Yeah, I got you. Okay, two things. First off, obviously, quite a change from last year where you came in as the favorite, all the wins, all the playoff points. So what's it like just being in a position now where you're back to uh, just 
I guess, being the hunter, trying to defend this championship? Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't put much thought into it. Um, obviously, when you look at the points, I think last year we had 40-something, maybe close to 50 points, uh, something like that. Um, as we headed into the playoffs, where this year, I think we only have 19 or 18. So, um, yeah, I mean, it already, I think, adds a little bit more pressure on, on each race, um, knowing that you need to go get stage points, stage wins, race wins, all that to uh, you know, help out your, your postseason so, um, or post-regular season. So, yeah, this first round sets up really nice for us and our team, uh, three really good really great tracks for us so I think it's a it's a good opportunity for us to you know, have a have a good few showings get some you know hopefully like I mentioned some playoff points and um, try and put ourselves in a better spot as we approach the next couple rounds and last year was really the first year that you had a obviously a deep playoff run where you went through each of the rounds you got to the championship race for the first time how valuable was that experience to really see it firsthand, how the rounds work, what it takes, the value of playoff points, and so forth, uh, to get to Phoenix? Yeah, I think only one other time, maybe in my career, I've made it to the round of eight. So, um, I believe, anyways, I, I might not have, but uh, I think I did one other time. Um, where I, I think that experience probably, even though I don't remember it, uh, that experience uh, would probably have taught me more and prepared me more for this this year's playoffs, you know, because, you know, last year we kind of, you know, just not often I feel like that, that the driver, you know, has that many points. You know, I, I know Harvick and them have done it in the past, but, you know, where you have a lot of points and you can you can rely on those points and, and not go into each race with some stress of crashing or, or having something bad happen or, or if it does, um, you're, you're still not in, in terrible shape. Like, I think the second round of last year we had, um, you know, a, a bad Talladega, and then um, you had the battery issue or alternator issue at, at the Roval, and, and then, you know, I was stressed out where I would have been really stressed out if I had the bad race at the Talladega, just, you know, that one itself. So, um, I don't know. Just go out there and execute and, and try and run up front all race long, and, and that should hopefully put you in an okay spot. All right, our next question will go to Matt Weaver. Go ahead, Matt, with your question. Hey, bud. Sorry, I had a couple of mics to unmute. Um, so your first full-time cup season was 2014. So the only era of cup racing you've ever known was the win-and-you're-in format. And um, it's not traditional racing. It's not points racing. But is there – do you enjoy getting to September and the intensity of this format as a racer – do you enjoy that kind of pressure cooker environment? Um, sure. I, I don't know. Like you said, I don't have experience the other way. So this is all I've known, and it's the only way of, of racing in the playoffs. And I don't know if the regular season was that way back then when I was um, running. But anyways, the playoffs, like being like this, is the only way I've known. So it just kind of is what it is to me. Um, I think if if I had raced another way, you know, how it was before, maybe I'd have a different opinion, but I don't know anything different, so um, it's just the way it's always been, and yes, there's, I think it just, having an emphasis on winning is exciting for the fans, having elim elimination stuff is, um, 
stressful and that makes things exciting too to watch on TV and the storylines developing throughout each race. So I don't know. Um, hopefully we can win some races and uh, just advance that way and, and make things nice. And then as a follow-up, we hear all the time winning is paramount. There's nothing more important in the Cup Series than, than winning. And yet we get to the playoffs in September and all of a sudden we're all counting points. So it's not like winning is still the only thing because in each round we're counting up you know, stage points and, and playoff points. So what is the balance with, with your team in terms of you know, trying to put yourself in position to win but also first and second stage collecting max points? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's only a, you know, the road courses really and, and maybe super speedways a little bit, but uh, mostly the road courses where you have to sacrifice stages for the finishing position. So um, we've only got one road course in the playoffs. Um, so aside from that, you know, I think you're always going to go for the stage points and you know, the, the race win. Um, comes along hopefully with that. Obviously, I think if yes, there's cautions that fall at a certain point, you know, at the end of a stage, and you have to sacrifice the points for tires or and fuel. Um, then I, I don't know. I don't know where we. It, it all just kind of depends on where you're at in the points. I think at that moment. Um, but yes, I think everybody always wants to just straight up go for stage points and and the race win. Mentor, thanks, Kyle. Okay, your thoughts about uh, Kyle Larson's comments. We, we couldn't hear all of the interview because it's about 20 minutes long, uh, so we just played a, a few of those questions. Um, overall, the, the one thing I kind of take that is Kyle is a racer. I know he owns some of his own teams and does some other things, but you heard it. When they talked about you know what's happened in the past, he's focused on this weekend running the best he can, race the race. You know, the points will take care of itself. He didn't seem to, you know, he's aware that last year he had the points cushion, but they were running so well this year they're not. It doesn't change his strategy. His thought still is this race, would, you know, running this race. Um, he did talk about it, you know, knowing and being aware of that when it comes to points racing, if you will, that the road courses are the only ones where that strategy changes. But, and I know this from interviewing him, same thing with the car setup and anything with the car, that's not his thing. Uh, you know, he'll be like, hey, the crew chief takes care of that. The crew chief's going to take care of the strategy. He tells me to pit, a pit. He tells me to, you know, save gas, save tires. That's what I try to do. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Not always necessarily good at it, but. And the other thing that I took, in it, and this is just from my perspective, but when you talk about the win and you're in, uh, we talked about that Eldora race. The dirt track racing he's done that's kind of how they are because you got to either qualify well or win a heat race to get into the main event. So I think that is all what he's used to um, rather than points racing. Well, and he brings up that, you know, this uh, playoff format is the only thing that he's ever really known. He's never known any other type of racing within NASCAR. Um, and you're right. He, the, I had the same impression after listening to him that he is a racer. He's out there to get his best finish, uh, and getting your best finish means you're going to get the best, uh, the most amount of points you can get. Uh, but I think he's also a very cool cucumber. 
Uh, he's not going to be doing anything different, any different than he does any other race. He's going to be going out there to try to get uh, the best finish that he can get with the car that he has. So uh, I think he's a true racer. I, I don't think uh, uh, there's much that's going to rattle him. I think he's going to go out there and, and just try to do, put forth his very best effort. And in doing that, he's going to get the most points that he can get and uh, maybe a few wins along the way. Yeah, that's always the impression I've had from him. Uh, we mentioned that uh, with, with doing spot racing uh, that he does now um, on dirt or other activities. He really does. He just loves to race. Uh, you know, and I know he mentioned, um, I always felt like because of how good he was back when it, in the previous runs he had with Chip Ganassi Racing, if he could get to Miami Homestead, he mentioned it, I think only once that he even got into the round of eight, never made it to the round of four. And I think we saw that last year. I know they ran so strong and had all those wins during the year and had that uh, cushion to fall back on. But as he mentioned it, that really hasn't changed this year. Right now they are looking to improve because um, uh-huh. they do need to be picking up more wins and running towards the front more consistently. I'm sure that's a focus. But you mentioned it of, you know, win the race. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. It was a teammate on his outside, and he did not wreck him. But he definitely used them up and took the win. Uh, they definitely did. I, I, with their, all of the drivers that are in the playoffs were interviewed today as part of the NASCAR Media Day. And uh, Kyle Larson was just the first one out on Monday. Uh, so I chose him to be uh, the driver featured on our show here tonight. Uh, but there are a lot of interviews out there from the drivers that are in the playoffs. And uh, I do have a piece that was sent to me from the Jim Rome show uh, that features Kevin Harvick. I'm going to put that out on the website, uh, if not tonight, then tomorrow morning, so that fans can hear Kevin Harvick's comments as well. So uh, just a heads up on that. But there are a lot of interviews out there from today. Well, and I think, uh, I'm not sure if that's where what Mike posted, a clip of Harvick's might uh, prelude to one of our hot topics. I know it's been a hot topic, but I think that might have come from his Media Day interview, did it not? Uh, I don't know. I didn't see all the hot topics yet, but did he add Okay, has to, to, well, he added to the safety of the car, the hard hits. I know Christopher Bell, uh, Denny Hamlin, and Kevin Harvick now has come with another one. Yeah, Denny Hamlin's not going to race this weekend, I know. In the Xfinity Series, I put that one up. He is uh, going to sit that out. He said he was still feeling a little sore from the race last weekend. And rather than taking a chance going into the playoffs uh, by racing that Xfinity Series race, he's going to let his body get the rest it needs in order to be strong for that uh, playoff race at Darlington in the Cup Series. So, yeah, Denny Hamlin is uh, one of the drivers um, that has is being affected by soreness after racing. So I, I see where he's coming from there. Well, and, and his fill-in in the Xfinity Series race then is Christopher Bell, and he is one that did have some uh, pointed comments, um, and we'll talk mm-hmm. about that. As I know, like I said, I know that was up as a hot topic, and I think Mike just added the Kevin Harvick piece. Oh, okay. Okay. I got gotcha. you. 
Okay, so um, yeah, we'll we'll be talking about that uh, starting at ten o'clock here tonight. So stay tuned uh, for our hot topic sound off segment uh, with our fan for racing crew. Okay, let's go ahead and move on now to the truck series. Uh, they are not racing this weekend. Their next race isn't until uh, Kansas Speedway, the Kansas Lottery 200, on Friday, September the 9th. That next weekend. Uh, so we'll just give you a few of the headlines here in the uh, truck series uh, just to kind of keep everybody updated. Uh, let's go ahead and give the clinch uh, scenarios. I don't think I gave that last week, and so we can cover that this week, Jay. All right. Well, we got you mentioned Kansas Speedway approaching um, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. They're going to return next return to action next weekend at Kansas Speedway, and a lot will be on the line as the competitors return to Kansas, as it is the cutoff race of the round of ten, and only eight drivers will advance to the next round. So two drivers have clinched their spot so far in the Camping World Truck Series playoffs round of eight. GMS Racing's Grant Enfinger, who is the Indianapolis winner, and then Kyle Busch Motorsports' Chandler Smith, who was the Richmond winner, which means the six other positions that are still open uh, with one race to go. So for the clinch scenarios, I mentioned the two that are in based on their wins. If there's a repeat winner or win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, uh, drivers could clinch by being ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. And the same would go if a new winner comes from Zane Smith, John Hunter, Nemechek, Ty Majeski, Stuart Friesen, Ben Rhodes, and Matt Crafton. Now, Zane Smith would clinch with 10 points, John Hunter Nemechek with 13, Ty Majeski needs 20, Stuart Friesen 25, and then uh, Ben Rhodes needs 34 points, 35 if Crafton wins, Matt Crafton clinches with 53 points. Carson Hosevar would clinch with 55 points, but need, needs help if Crafton is the winner. And Christian Eckes, he can only clinch with help based on points. Um, if the new winner is from Carson Hosevar or Christian Eckes, then you got to be ahead of the sixth winless driver in the standings, and that bumps it about three points. So Zane would need 13, John Hunter Nemechek 16, Ty Majeski 23, Stuart Friesen 28. Ben Rhodes, 38, and then Matt Crafton, Carson Hosevar, Christian Eckes would all need help. A win, it fixes everything, because then you're in. All of them are eligible uh, to pick up the victory and move on. Absolutely. Also, there's some big news that came out this week. We were anticipating this. Uh, Craftsman is returning as the NASCAR Truck Series title sponsor for the 2023 season. So NASCAR and Stanley Black and Decker, the world's largest tool company and a leader in outdoor equipment, announced last week at Daytona that the American tool icon Craftsman is going to return as the title sponsor for the NASCAR Truck Series in 2023. Now, they served the series as title sponsor from its inception in 1995 to 2008, and the NASCAR Traxman Truck Series will make its homecoming at Daytona International Speedway on February the 17th of 2023. Now, in addition to the Truck Series title sponsorship, Stanley Black and Decker is also expanding its presence in the sport by entering into a multi-year partnership 
designating the company and its iconic brands as the official tools partner of NASCAR and official tools of all NASCAR-owned and operated trucks. So uh, that was really big news. Uh, <clears throat> that sponsorship, by the way, includes inclusive brand integrations on vehicles, crew uniforms, tracks, and more, in addition to branding of the Triple Truck Challenge, the championship race entitlement, and it will also serve as a platform to support the launch of new products, amplify seasonal promotions, and highlight the many ways that Craftsman is building pride. So I think pride is going to be a big part of their uh, uh, branding for next season under the Craftsman Truck Series uh, banner. So uh, watch for more on that. Well, I'm really excited to see that. Uh, I know we had talked about that. We felt like that was coming, just waiting for that official announcement. Uh, I did learn something in there that I didn't realize that they were under, the Craftsman was under the Black & Decker uh, main company on the stock exchange. Yeah, I did not know that. Yep, well, now we do. All right, okay. move into some other notes. Oh, that's all we had for the truck series. That's all we have for the truck series. So we're going to go ahead and move on into the Xfinity series. We always need the extra time for the Cup series. And if we do end up with extra time, Jay, I'll just give you a heads up now. Maybe you can give us an update on the our fantasy group. All right. Okay. Now the NASCAR Xfinity series will be uh, racing the Sports Clip Haircuts BFW Help a Hero 200 at Darlington Raceway this Saturday, September the 3rd, at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, purse is $1,208,129. Uh, you'll be able to watch the race on USA at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. Radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90, and then they'll be racing a distance of 200.8 miles over 147 laps. First two laps are, I'm sorry, first two stages are 45 laps each. So the first stage ends on lap 45, second stage on lap 90. The last stage ends on the last lap for 57 laps, and that's on lap 147. So uh, we do have some Xfinity Series notes here. And we'll start with Ryan Ellis as he's going to honor Jeff Gordon with a throwback paint scheme. The Alpha Prime Racing announced that King Parts Corvette Parts.net will be running a throwback scheme on Ryan Ellis's number 44 Chevrolet this weekend at Darlington Raceway in honor of NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon. It'll be the iconic flame schemes, uh, scheme that Gordon drove for many years following the rainbow scheme. Okay. Uh, also, just for a Sunoco Rookie of the Year update, the regular season is starting to wrap up, and Richard Childress Racing's Austin Hill is uh, kind of uh, separating himself from the rest. <clears throat> excuse me, the rest of the rookie class going into this weekend's race out at Darlington. He leads the group with 703 points. His teammate at RCR, Sheldon Creeds, comes in second. Uh, at 493 points, uh, Creed has posted two top fives and nine top tens this season. And Ryan, I'm sorry, Kyle Seed sits in third at 190 points, and Jesse Awuji slides in next at 84 points. 
So uh, just a quick update there on the rookies. We mentioned uh, this, so uh, I don't know how we want to cover it. It's going to be Denny Hamlin running double duty was scheduled to. As I mentioned, it's now going to be Christopher Bell that will be in that machine. So all this stats, uh, let me see if there's anything in there. Okay, there's something else in there on uh, Dylan. Ty Dillon. No, 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 no. Ty, Ty Dillon, Kyle Larson, and Ross Jastain, they're also going to be getting some extra track time this weekend. Uh, Dylan will be piloting the number 02R Motorsport Chevrolet for his, his fourth Xfinity Series start of the season. He's posted seven Xfinity Series starts at Darlington with three top tens and a best finish of seventh coming back in 2017. Larson will be driving the number 17 Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports. This will be his third Xfinity Series start of the season, and if all goes well, like the last two, he could find, very well find himself in victory lane. His first start was at Road America, where he finished runner-up, and his most recent start was at Watkins Glen, where he took home the checkered flag. He's posted four Xfinity starts at Darlington Raceway and racked up one top five and four top tens. And last, uh, Chastain will be teaming up with Big Machine Racing to drive the number 48 Chevrolet for his fourth Xfinity Series start of the 2022 season. In his six Xfinity Series starts at Darlington, he's posted one top five and three top tens. And my guess is, Sharon, you had read these notes already because when you put up uh, Larson for Xfinity Series, I was going to check with <laughs> you to make sure that you run the right cup versus Xfinity, but then I looked at the roster, and he is in it, so that's a good He is in it, yep. I always check the entry list before I make my picks because I've made that mistake before, assuming who I want in the Xfinity series, and then I realize, oh, my God, there's a bunch of cup drivers in here. So, yeah, I, I always make sure I check that. Okay, now then, the Xfinity series uh, playoff picture is shaping up. There's three races left for the Xfinity Series before they start their playoffs. Um, And uh, everyone has a chance to win, and that theory was proved true last Friday when Jeremy Clements took the checkered flag. Although he posted the win, he will be not making an appearance in the Xfinity Series playoffs because of a level two penalty being issued to the 51 team on Tuesday afternoon. With that said, uh, the current playoff picture is uh, changed a little bit. Now, the seven drivers that have clinched a spot in the 12-driver field are Almondinger, Ty Gibbs, Justin Aldauer, Nord Gregson, Josh Berry, Austin Hill, and Brandon Jones. Uh, if there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the playoffs, uh, these drivers can clinch by being 111 points above the fourth winless driver in the standings. Uh, and so uh, the same points requirement uh, would hold true if a new win comes from among Riley Earp, Sam Mayer, or Daniel Hemrick. Riley Earp is going to need a win. Sam Mayer also would need a win uh, or poor performance by other drivers. Uh, the following drivers can also clinch on their win alone. Riley Earp, Sam Mayer, Daniel Hemrick, Landon Castle, Ryan Sieg, Sheldon Creed, Anthony Alfredo, and Brandon Brown. Now, uh, these drivers 
uh, can also clinch with a win, and that's Myatt Snyder and Jeb Burton. So uh, those drivers are outside of the playoff cut line, but if they get a win, they could still be in the playoffs. Now let me uh, let me check something real quick. I believe that Clements uh, has filed an appeal, so that is not fully yes. official as of yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to make sure it. that that got put out there. All right. Now show me the stats for the Darlington edition. Because uh, <clears throat> rain delayed triple overtime race this past weekend at Daytona, the Xfinity Series now sets its eyes on Darlington Raceway for the Sports Clip. Sports Clips Haircuts, VFW, Help a Hero 200. Um, That's a be the second trip. <laughs> what, yeah, I was thinking that. I was, I was making sure I read all of it there. Um, feel, for, feel sorry for the broadcasters this weekend. <laughs> now, this will be the second trip to Darlington, South Carolina this season. The first race in May saw Junior Motorsports' Justin Algar take the win over his JRM teammate Noah Gregson. It was in the runner-up spot by a margin of victory of .259 seconds. If Algar wins again this Saturday, he'll become the ninth different driver to post back-to-back wins at the track, as Ron Bouchard did it in an 84 sweep, Daryl Waltrip, 85-86, Dale Earnhardt, 86-87, Harry Gant did it in 89 and 90, Dale Jarrett, 90-91, Mark Martin, oh, 93-94 sweep, 95, 96, 99, and then the 2000 sweep. Uh, he has the longest list there. Jeff Burton did it in 2001 and then a 2002 sweep. And Denny Hamlin with an 06 and 07 victories. Now heading into this weekend, it'll be the 65th Xfinity Series race at the track Too Tough to Tame. The previous 64 races have produced 35 different race winners and 30 different pole winners. NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin sits as the track winningest driver, as you can tell, with eight trips to victory lane. He also leads with the most poles at eight, top fives at 14, top tens at 18, and laps led at 972. Now, the track has been a place of first for a few drivers. Uh, Justin Ashburn in 2003, Denny Hamlin in 2004, and John Jackson in 2011 got their first Xfinity Series starts at the Lady in Black, while Kyle Busch in 2004 and Ross Chastain in 2018 each won their first polls here. There is yet to be a driver to post their first career Xfinity Series win at Darlington Raceway. Uh, On-track action, that'll begin... uh, on Saturday, September 3rd at 10.05 Eastern, and then they'll follow up that up by qualifying at 10.35 a.m. Eastern. Um, both are going to be streamed on the NBC Sports app. Okay, definitely looking forward to this race. Now, uh, after a wild Daytona weekend, we're on to Darlington Raceway, uh, but Daytona has historically been known as a place of surprises, and this past weekend's Wawa 250 was no exception. Uh, as if a rain day delay was enough, Friday night's Xfinity Series race went into not double but triple overtime 
and sent a different winner into victory lane with Jeremy Clements. Now, Clements took the win under caution over Timmy Hill, A.J. Allmendinger, Brandon Brown, Sage Kiram, who rounded out the top five, and the win marked the second of Clements' Xfinity Series career. His first was at Road America in 2017 after working his way up from the 24th position. And ironically enough, they were both on the same day, August the 27th. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. With some prep in his step, with some pep in his step, the South Carolina native Clements will head to his home track, Darlington Raceway, in hopes to once again put on a show. Now, the 51 of Jeremy Clements Racing Chevrolet has been making his way to Darlington in the Xfinity Series for 12 years. In his 14 starts there, he's posted three top tens. Two of those top tens were in last season. The Xfinity Series was at Darlington Raceway earlier this year for the Mahindra Roxor 200, and Junior Motorsports' Justin Algar won the event. Jeremy Clements finished 29th in that race. But I've got a feeling he's going to be looking for some redemption uh, and be looking for another win here at Darlington this weekend. Well, most certainly, uh, I, you know, any team that goes through that, especially a team like that, um, small budget team, and I know that they're talking about that with the appeal, uh, how hard that would hit a small team like that. Uh, we'll see how the appeal plays out, but I would, being that he had raced his way in, I would like to see him get a victory and, and still race his way into the playoffs. Um, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be real it's tough, gonna be actually. Tough. Yeah, it is going to be tough. There's no doubt about it. But uh, I'm sure he would love to do that if it's at all possible. All right, moving on to the Cup Series here. The Cookout Southern 500 will take place at Darlington Raceway on Sunday, September the 4th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the purse for this race is $7,823,733. It will be televised on the USA Network starting at 5 p.m. Eastern with radio coverage on MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 501.3 miles over 367 laps. Uh, the First two stages are 115 laps each, with stage one ending on lap 115, stage two on lap 230, and the last stage ending on the last lap, 367. So uh, what do we have here for the Cup Series, Jay? Because there is a lot here. (laughs) Well, we talk about rising stars as far as the drivers. we got a rising country music sensation, Josiah Siska is going to sing the national anthem. Uh, Kevin Thorpe of Darlington, Kevin Thorpe, the Darlington Raceway president and Darlington Raceway announced rising country music entertainer, Josiah Siska. And I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that right. I'm not a country music person, but uh, we'll sing the national anthem in advance of the first race in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. And it'll be the 73rd running of the Cookout Southern 500. Okay. 
Okay, next we have some uh, matchups. Uh, this is always kind of fun. I'll go ahead and start from the bottom up. Uh, the first matchup is Kevin Harvick versus Tyler Reddick. Uh, and it's been a pretty much of an up-and-down year for both Kevin and Tyler, uh, but both have had a blistering hot summer. Kevin won back-to-back races at Michigan and Richmond, uh, silencing those doubters who didn't think he could find victory lane this year. And Tyler won at both Indianapolis and Road America this year, and uh, that put him into uh, as a uh, serious playoff contender. Uh, these two are neck-and-neck neck in the playoff standings, sitting in eighth, for Reddick and ninth for Harvick with 12 playoff points. Uh, Harvick returns to one of his favorite tracks where he has two wins, six top fives in his last seven races at Darlington. Reddick hasn't had as much fortune at Darlington with only one top five in six races. Now, earlier this year, however, Reddick did finish as runner-up to Joey Logano and at a track like Darlington, where experience is crucial, Ruddick showed that he's learning what it takes to tame that lady in black. And the next matchup is a battle of the Kyles. We've got Kyle Larson versus Kyle Busch. Now, it's been a rough summer for Kyle Busch, but amidst, this, amidst his contract controversy, he currently sits 11th in the playoff standing. If the number 18 finds its stride, there's no doubt that Bush can win his third championship. He's looking for his first win in the last seven races at Darlington. As his counterpart, Kyle Larson, though, who had three straight runner-up finishes at Darlington prior to the spring race. Larson will start fourth in the standings when the green flag waves on Sunday as he's looking to defend the 2021 championship. Should be a great battle between these two come Sunday as we get the 2022 playoffs underway. Okay, our next matchup is between Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin, uh, two of the championship favorites, uh, finally began their quest to win their quest to win it all this week at Darlington, the first race of the playoffs. Uh, Denny has two wins in his last seven races at Darlington. Chase has uh, two top fives and holds a 92.3 driver rating compared to Denny's 105.1. Although historically Hamlin has fared better at Darlington, Elliott bested him earlier this season when he finished fifth and Hamlin finished 21st. Both Denny and Chase have tons of experience at Darlington, and they're going to look to use that knowledge to start their championship run off on the right foot. <laughs> Boy, you get the first uh, matchups this week. <laughs> I, w- I would have thought the Elliott Hamlin matchup would have happened at, Dar- or at Martinsville, but that's just me. <laughs> uh, you mentioned it, though, yes. I had the Kyles. Now we got the Austins. Austin Dillon versus Austin Sindrick. We had Austin Dillon's magical win at Daytona, catapulted himself into the playoffs in that dramatic fashion. Now with both RCR cars, Richard Childress Racing, in the playoffs, it'll be interesting to see what kind of noise they can make. Now Team Penske has, has all three of their cars in the playoffs, but Daytona 500 winner Austin Sindrick is the only rookie to make the field. In this battle of Daytona winners, both Austins will try to tame the lady in black. Dylan holds the lead in driver rating with a 73-66 to 66 advantage, but at Darlington, anything can happen as drivers attempt to manage the tire wear. Yeah, not a good rookie track per se, but 
uh, doesn't do veterans a lot of good either sometimes. <laughs> well, that is so true. Okay, there's a huge charity thing going on at Darlington this way, the NASC this week. Uh, the NASCAR Foundation Speedy Bear Brigade, powered by calling, giving expands across the United States and Mexico. The NASCAR-themed teddy bears named Speedy Bear are being delivered to children in hospitals across the United States and Mexico as the NASCAR Foundation and the College Giving joined together for the 6th Annual Speedy Bear Brigade. Now, this, year, this year's program expands into Mexico, bringing the cumulative total to more than 8,000 Speedy Bears delivered over six years to help comfort children during their hospital stays. Now, the NASCAR Foundation Speedy Bear Brigade began delivering Speedy Bears to children earlier this week with stops in Monterey, Mexico, Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, the NASCAR volunteers assisted with the deliveries, including representatives from the NASCAR Mexico Series who joined the efforts for the first time. So this year's efforts marks the biggest to date with nearly 70 hospitals participating in race markets across the United States and Mexico. The initiative culminates on the National Teddy Bear Day on Friday, September 9th, with events in Akron, Ohio, home of College Giving Headquarters, and during NASCAR's Kansas Speedway Race Weekend. So I really love the Speedy Bear Brigade. We always applaud the uh, NASCAR Foundation and the different initiatives uh, that they produce. All right, moving up into the racing. NASCAR, the Cup Series, has produced some great competition this season. Uh, we just keep adding to these stats. The 2022 NASCAR Cup Series regular season, which it consists of the first 26 races, has been deemed one of the best, and the numbers certainly match the eye test. The first 26 races were phenomenal from a statistical standpoint, uh, even record-breaking. When we look at the series' most race winners of 16 through 26 races, the 2022 season tied with the 2003 season for the series' most NASCAR Cup Series winners through those 26 races with 16 different winners each. And that's from 1949 through 2022. And most average leaders uh, is up since 2011, up 9.7% year over year. A total of 38 different drivers have led laps in the NASCAR Cup Series through those first 26 races of the season, with an average of 10.04 liters per race, which is up from last season's 9.2, which is a 9.7% gain. And the 2022 season has produced the most average leaders per race since 2011, which was a 12.77 and that was over a decade ago. And look at the most green flag passes for the lead through the regular season. The 2022 season has produced the most, series most of 1,162 green flag passes for the lead through these first 26 races. That's since a loop data statistic was initially tabulated in 2007. So that covers 16 seasons. So statistically putting it up, most competitive season uh, we've seen in a while. Okay, next up um, we have uh, the playoff field here at Darlington uh, with the first race 
the four drivers that are below that cut line are Daniel Suarez, Austin Sindrick, Alex Bowman, and Austin Dillon. Uh, let's go through each of these drivers going from the bottom up, Jay. I'll start uh, with the first two, and then you can go with the next two. All right. Okay, Austin Dillon, uh, the driver of the number three Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet, uh, is climbing off cloud nine this week after winning his way into the playoffs by taking the checkered flag in the regular season finale at Daytona. Now uh, the North Carolina native heads to Darlington as the number 16 seed with 2,005 points. He's back four points from the round of 12 cutoff in his fifth postseason appearance. Uh, He's been in the uh, playoffs in 16, 17, 18, 20, and 22. He's made 12 series starts at Darlington uh, where he has two top fives, five top tens, and his average finish at the track is an 11.9. Alex Bowman, driver of the number 48 Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, uh, will start the playoffs as a 15 seed at 2,006 points, three points behind that round of 12 cutoff. It's his fifth straight appearance in the postseason. He's been there in 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. Bowman's made 10 series starts at Darlington, putting up one top five, two top tens, and his average finish at the egg-shaped oval is 19.2. The other Austin, Austin Sindrick, is the number two Team Penske Ford. He skips into Darlington Raceway as the number 14 seed in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, starting with 2,006 points, three points behind the round of 12 cutoff. It is his first appearance in the postseason. Now, Sindrick is the fourth different Sunoco rookie to earn a spot in the playoffs as he joins Denny Hamlin, who did it in 2006, Chase Elliott in 2016, and Christopher Bell in 2020. Sindrick made his series track debut at Darlington earlier this season where he started 19th and finished 18th. Daniel Suarez, the number 99 track house racing Chevrolet, they land at Darlington Raceway as the number 13 seed in the playoffs with 2,007 points. Puts him only two points back from Chase Briscoe in that 12th and final transfer spot going to the round of 12. It's also his first appearance in the NASCAR Cup Series postseason. Suarez is the first Mexican-born driver to earn a spot in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, and that's all time. Suarez has made nine series starts at Darlington, putting up one top ten finish, uh, which was tenth earlier this season. His average at the historic track is 22.3, so hopefully he's improving on where he finished this year and not the average. Okay. Now for those drivers that are above that round of 12 cut line, uh, is Chase Briscoe. The num- he drives the number 14 Stuart Haas Racing Ford, and he rolls into uh, Darlington in that number 12 seed uh, on the playoffs at 2,009 points, up just two points on the round of 12 cutoff in the final transfer spot on points. In his first appearance in the postseason, Briscoe's made three starts at Darlington. He has a best finish of 11th in May of uh, 2021. His average finish at Darlington is 16.6. Then in the, there's Kyle Busch in the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He arrives at Darlington Raceway as the number 11 seed in the playoffs with two, 
2010 points. That's up just three points on the round of 12 cut line. In his 15th postseason appearance, I'm not going to list all the years, but it, 15 is a lot. Uh, Bush has made 21 series starts at Darlington. He's posted one win in 2008, six top fives and 13 top tens. His average finish at the track uh, is a 12.9. His teammate Christopher Bell is the number 20 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He heads to Darlington as the number 10 seed for the playoffs with 2011, up four points from the round of 12 cutoff. It's just his second postseason appearance uh, this year and last year. Bell has made six series starts at Darlington Raceway, collecting one top 10 finish, which is a six. His average finish at Darlington, though, is 18.1. We've got another one that's got a long list. Kevin Harvick, number four, Stuart Haas Racing Ford. He starts the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs as the number nine seed with 2,012 points, up five points on the round of 12 cutoff. He's in his record-setting 16th career postseason appearance. Uh, again, I'm not going to go through the years. There's a lot of them. Uh, Harvick has made 29 series starts at the track too tough to tame. He's grabbed three victories in 2014, 2020, 2020 in the first race and 2020 in the third race. Remember, that was the COVID year. He's also got uh-huh. 13 top fives and 18 top tens. And here's a good thing. His average finish at Darlington is a 12.1. That's a lot lower than some of the other ones we've been hearing. Yep. Okay. Next up, uh, we've got Tyler Reddick. He's the driver of the number eight Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet and arrives at Darlington as the number eight seed in the Cup Series playoffs at 2012 points. He's up five points from the round of 12 cutoff. In his second appearance in the postseason, 22 and 21, Ruddick has made six series starts at Darlington, where he has one top five and two top ten finishes. His average finish at Darlington is not too far off of uh, Kevin Harvick's. His average finish is at 12.5. Ryan Blaney, uh, driver of the number 12 team Penske Ford, he heads to Darlington Raceway as the number seven seed uh, in the playoffs at 20,013 points. Uh, I should say 2,013 points. Uh, he's up six points on the round of 12 cutoff in his sixth postseason appearance. And Blaney is the only playoff contender without a win this season. He earned her spot on points at Daytona last weekend. Blaney has made 11 starts at Darlington, where he's posted uh, one top 10 finish and eighth, and his average finish at the South Carolina uh, track is 19.0. Yet another record setter here, the number 11 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, Denny Hamlin, who's going to Darlington as the defending winner of this playoff race last season, and the number six seed in the season's playoffs starting with 2,013 points, six up on the round of 12 cutoff. And he is also in a record-setting 16th postseason appearance. Hamlin has made 20 series starts at Darlington, putting up one pole and four wins, which is the series most among active drivers, 2010, 17, 2020, and 2021. And he's got a total of 11 top fives plus 15 top tens. His average finish at Darlington, a 7.7, which is the best among playoff contenders. 
Then we got William Byron. He's driver the number 24 Hendrick Motorsport Chevrolet. He's the number five seed in the playoffs with 2014 points, putting him seven up from the cut line. His fourth consecutive appearance in the postseason, starting back in 2019, running through 2022. Byron has made eight starts at Darlington, amassing two top fives and two top tens. Average finish at the 1.366-mile track, 19.88. Okay. Uh, Next up is Kyle Larson, driver of the number five Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, uh, last season's Cup Series champion. Uh, He heads into Darlington as the number four seed uh, with 2,019 points. He's up 12 points on the cut line. It's his sixth postseason appearance. Uh, He's made nine starts at Darlington, posting five top fives and seven top tens. His average track his average finish at the track is 8.8. That's second best among the playoff contenders. Then there's Ross Chastain, driver of the number one Trackhouse Racing Chevrolet, rolling into Darlington Raceway as the number three seed in the playoffs at 2,020 points. He's up 13 points on the round of 12 cutoff. In his first career postseason appearance, uh, Chastain is looking to Darlington uh, to see what he can do. He's made six series starts at the egg-shaped track, tra- egg-shaped track. I'm kind of combining my words here. He has one top five, one top ten, and his average finish at the track is 22.1. Looking at the top two, starting with the number two spot, is the 22, and that's the Team Penske Ford, driven by Joey Logano. He sits in the number two seed, for the playoffs with 2,025 points, is a healthy 18 points up on the 12 round of 12 cutoff. This is his ninth postseason appearance. Now, Logano returns to Lady in Black as the most recent winner as he took home the trophy earlier this season from the pole position. Logano has made a total of 17 career starts at Darlington, grabbing one pole. The one victory came earlier this year, five top fives and nine top tens. Average finish at Darlington is at 13.5. It's pretty solid. Now, starting at the top, the Chase Elliott, number nine, Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. He picked up the regular season championship and the number one seed in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. He's going to start with 2,040 points. He's up 33 points on the round of 12 cutoff. This is his seventh and its consecutive postseason appearance starting in 2016, running through the current year of 2022. Elliott has made 11 starts at Darlington, has amassed three top fives and five top tens. Average finish at the 1.366-mile track, a little high, 17.3. Yeah, a little surprising. Uh, Real quick, I'm going to scout the playoff field at Darlington. Darlington is set to kick off their 19th running of the Cup Series playoffs from 2004 to 22. Uh, And uh, since the inception of the postseason in 2004, 46 different drivers have qualified for the Cup Series playoffs, including this season's 16-driver field. Now, four drivers this season are making uh, their debuts. Uh, That would be Austin Sendrick, Chase Briscoe, Ross Chastain, and Daniel Suarez. 
the veterans are Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick. They're making a series record 16th playoff appearance, the most all time. In total, 10 drivers have won the championship since the inception of the playoffs in 2004. This season, five former Cup Series champions make up the 16-driver field. Active champions that are in the playoff are bolded in the chart below. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, Kyle Busch is the only active competitor with multiple championships in 2015 and 19. So Jimmy Johnson uh, won in 2016. Kyle Busch, well, <laughs> actually, it goes. Uh, he has a total of seven titles. Uh, from 2006 to 16, uh, Kyle Busch has two titles, uh, 15 and 19, Tory Stewart in 05 and 11. Kyle Larson won championship in 2021. Chase Elliott in 2020. Joey Logano in 18. Martin Truex Jr. in 17. Kevin Harvick in 14. Brad Keselowski in 2012. And Kurt Busch in 2004. Uh, so six different organizations are in the season's uh, driver playoffs, including motorsports, track house racing, Joe Gibbs racing, Richard Childress racing, Stuart Haas racing, and Team Penske. All three Cup Series official engine manufacturers have qualified for the playoffs as well, led by Chevrolet with eight entries, followed by Ford with five and Toyota with three. Looking ahead to Darlington, six former winners are entered in the race this weekend, led by Denny Hamlin with four wins. Kevin Harvick is the other playoff driver this season with multiple wins at uh, Darlington with three wins. So just a quick uh, rundown of the contenders for this week. Uh, Let's get the rundown of the series playoffs and go on to historically. All right, you said scroll up to the historic part? Whoops. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. All right, uh, yeah, when we look at the iconic... Dri- Actually, what, Jay, why don't you go to the uh, uh, the truck Too Tough to Tame? Go to the top. All right. <clears throat> Wrong. <laughs> scroll up, there we go. Uh, the 2022 season marks the third year of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs has opened at Darlington Raceway. 2020 through 2022 with competitors vying for the season's title and they'll challenge the cookout Southern 500 uh, this weekend. Now Darlington Raceway is the fourth different track to host the first race of the Cup Series postseason. New Hampshire Speedway hosted the first playoff race from 2004 to 2010 and Chicagoland held that spot from 2011 to 2017 and Las Vegas Motor Speedway hosted uh, the first event in 2018 and 19. Prior to the 2020 season, Darlington had just hosted just one playoff race, which was the Pension event in the inaugural playoffs in 2004. The race was then won by seven-time champion and former Hendrick Motorsports driver Jimmy Johnson. The winner of the opening race of the Cup Series playoffs has gone on to win the title that same season four times. In the inaugural year of 04, Kurt Busch won the opening race at New Hampshire and went on to win the title. In 2011, uh, it was delayed till Monday, but NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart won his first race of the season at Chicago to open the playoffs and then went on to set the record for most wins in a playoff run with five victories and the title. A feat Kyle Larson matched last season. In 2012, it was Brad Keselowski won the playoff 
uh, race at Chicagoland, went on to win the title. In 2017, Martin Truex won the playoff race there at Chicago as well to open the playoffs and win his championship that season. Some others that have won the first race, uh, Kurt Busch, Ryan Newman, Kevin Harvick, Clint Boyer, Greg Biffle, Mark Martin, and then again Clint Boyer. That was all at New Hampshire. Chicago was Tony Stewart, Brad Keselowski, Matt Kenseth, Brad Keselowski again, Denny Hamlin, and then two for Martin Truex. Uh, when it was Las Vegas, it was Brad Keselowski and Martin Truex. And here at Darlington, it's been Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin. Now, the worst finish in the opening race of the playoffs by a driver that has gone on to win the NASCAR Cup Series title, that belongs to Jimmy Johnson. He was 39th place finish at New Hampshire Speedway in 2006. The worst finish in the opening playoff race at Chicago, uh, also Jimmy Johnson. He was 12th place in 2016, but picked up the title. Worst finish uh, opening race at Las Vegas was Kyle Busch's 19th place in finish in 2019. And the worst opening race uh, playoffs at Darlington by a driver that won the championship, that's Chase Elliott, with a 20th place finish. That was in 2020. Last year, Kyle Larson finished second at Darlington to open the playoffs and went on to win the title. Now, no non-playoff driver has ever won the opening race of the NASCAR Cup Series schedule. Since, it's a la- Since the inception of the elimination-style format of the playoffs, which started in 2014, which has been eight years, entering the playoffs as the number one seed has been the most successful seeding, producing four championships among three drivers. Kyle Busch in his championships, 2015 and 19, Martin Truex in 17, and Kyle Larson in 2021. This year, that falls on Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott, Again, sitting with 40 playoff points on his side. The deepest seed and eventual champion who started the playoffs was seventh, and that was Harvick in 2014, and Joey Logano in 2018. And I think I timed it just right. You got it just right there. Okay, it is uh, the top of the hour, and it is time for us to start our NASCAR Hot Topics. And joining us uh, for tonight's Hot Topic uh, conversation are... uh, a couple of our fan for racing crew members. We'll start with Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Okay, hey yo, but real quick, before we get into anything else, all everyone who's listening right now, drop what you're doing. Run to the television. Set your D V R. Race for the championship is starting oh, yeah. right now on USA Network. So listen to the show. But D V R race for the championship. This is the show that we've been waiting for. Yeah, I just re- I just set it to record. So, thank you, Mike. I'm doing I'm doing the same. Yep, thank you. It is recording. Okay. Uh, also joining us for tonight's show is uh, Tommy Kraft. Welcome back, Tommy. It's been a while. Hey, how are y'all? Thanks for having me back. Uh, it has been it's been a couple weeks, but uh, glad to be back home. Yes, indeed. We're glad to have you as well. Okay, Tommy, why don't you uh, give us our first hot topic for tonight? All right, let's go with um, uh, let's go with the the number swap for uh, Bubba and um, Ty Gibbs. Okay, uh, Mike, your comments about that? 
Yeah, what Tommy's talking about here is earlier in the week, 2311 Racing announced that Bubba Wallace is going to be driving the number 45 car for the remainder of the season. And the reason they're making that move is Kirk Bush is still out indefinitely with his concussion that he had at Pocono. We don't know when or if Kurt Bush is going to be returning to the number 45 car, but because Kurt won that race at Kansas early in the year, the 45 car is in the owner's championship playoffs. So we don't really talk about that very much because usually it's just a direct mirror image of the driver's playoffs. So we've got the driver's playoffs that everyone's familiar with, with the, the grid and, and all that. And the Kurt Busch withdrew from the driver's championship playoffs, but the number 45 car is still qualified for the owner's championship playoffs. And the way that works is the number 45, in this case now with Bubba Wallace driving it, is qualified for the owner's championship for that specific car. And Austin Dillon in the number three car is not in the owner's championship. I'm sorry, uh, Ryan Blaney is not in the owner's championship. So Team Penske is not in the owner's championship with the number 12, despite Ryan Blaney being in the driver's championship because that number 45 car with the win is qualified, and there were 16 total winners, Ryan Blaney not being one of them. So it's kind of a different deal. Bubba Wallace will still be driving for – he won't be for the driver's championship because he didn't make the playoffs, but he's still going to be driving for driver's points. He's going to take all the points that he earned in in the 23 car up to this point, and then we'll be adding to that total to finish no better than 16th, but you still get a bonus for finishing 16th in the regular series playoffs. So it's kind of an interesting deal. Uh, I don't know that we've really seen this happen before, but it's a good way for 2311 to uh, to have their best chance at winning the, the owner's championship. Nothing against Ty Gibbs, but he's not even a rookie driver. He's like a pre-rookie driver filling in for Kurt Busch. So I think it's a smart move for 2311 to take their best opportunity that they have to potentially win their dry, or their owner's championship with the number 45 car. And if Kurt comes back, Denny Hamlin has said that Kurt will drive the 23 for the remainder of the season. Yeah, it's an interesting scenario. Jay, your thoughts? Well, Mike added a little bit of information there. I didn't know uh, if Kurt returns that he would go to the 23 then. Um, I think as a team, as an organization, absolutely a smart move. Uh, Ty Gibbs has done a great job of filling in in the number 45. But being that we are now into the playoffs, um, there's several aspects I look at it of Bubba Wallace, although not qualified for the championship via his season, does give him that experience then of in a championship battle on the owner's side. So that helps him out. Um, I think being a veteran in the sport, obviously versus Ty Gibbs is a better way to go. And, if Kurt Busch returns to upset that, although it is his team uh, with Bubba Wallace getting in the rhythm and that, that car going and Kurt Busch, again, we know first race back might be a little, uh, I don't want to say slow, but, you know, unsure. I, I think overall, I think it's a good thing they're doing. And I love the fact that the team is able to do that. Uh, you have the organization, the depth, and, and you're playing for the team, not yourself, not, you know, individually but for the team. And I think this is a great move on, on the whole part of the organization. Yeah, I have to agree with uh, what Mike and Jay have both said. It, it, it's, a, it's a smart move. 
uh, for the organization to put Bubba Wallace into that number 45. It'll be good experience for him, and you're right. I think it makes sense for them to give that experience to the veteran, uh, Bubba Wallace, over the rookie, Ty Gibbs. Uh, Ty Gibbs is going to have his opportunity to be in that position, uh, so why not take advantage of the opportunity uh, to give some of that experience to Bubba Wallace? So uh, <clears throat> I think it, I just think it's a smart move. Uh, there's not a lot more for me to add here. Uh, so Tommy, I'm going to go to you for your thoughts. Well, I already saw the uh, 23 Monster Energy car on Twitter. Um, you know, it's pretty cool that they just switch numbers like that uh, mid-season. I don't. I think it's been a while since we've seen a, a number switch like that, um, at least from what I can remember. But definitely, um, definitely interesting. I mean, Kurt's going to be back, but Danny feels like uh, Bubba's got the that Bubba's got the best chance for 23XI to get the most playoff points over Kurt. Uh, nothing against Bubba there, just. Um, I mean, I guess it makes sense since Kurt's coming back from the injury. Um, so, but yeah, pretty cool. Um, I already saw the 45 McDonald's car too, or maybe that was a, a prototype of what it's going to look like. But I feel like we've already seen that this year with Kurt Busch. But um, I guess we'll get to see a 45 Dr. Pepper car and whatever else Bubba brings with him. So that'll be cool to see the different paint schemes. Uh, and it's also pretty cool that they can just switch numbers like that and uh I guess Kurt's going to be close to returning in the next couple of weeks, but in the meantime, Ty Gibbs still gets the race. And uh, I really feel like that guy's going to be competing for Rookie of the Year next year. Um, I really feel like he'll get pulled up into one of those Toyota seats. But that's just my opinion. Um, I guess we'll have to see. It all depends on Kurt Busch and Kyle Busch, really. Okay. Uh, Mike, your follow-up? At this point, if I was Kirk Bush, um, I would give strong consideration to sitting out the rest of the season, medical clearance or not. I understand he's a racer. I'm sure he wants to go racing. But in terms of his long-term health, there's really nothing to gain at this point. He doesn't even – well, I say he doesn't go back into his car. They're just more or less just swapping the number on the side of the car. So Bubba Wallace's current team that is that has – up to this weekend has been running the 23 car. It's going to be the same team. So Bubba Wallace, Booty Barker on the top of the pit box, all of the over-the-wall crew, et cetera. It's the same team that Bubba Wallace has been running with for the 23 car will now be the 45 car. So Kurt would get to go back and, and race with his team. But kind of like the discussion we had recently where uh, we were talking about will Kurt come back for the last two races prior to the playoffs, well, that now extends into the rest of the season. Should Kurt Busch come back for any of these remaining 10 races where he's not in championship contention, he's not driving a car, it's an owner's championship contention, yes, he probably has sponsor obligations that he could make and and whatnot, but at this point, maybe it's better for Kurt to take the rest of the season off one way or the other, focus on his recovery, he would get the rest of the season, so two months and some change, plus the entire offseason, come back fully healed, ready to go for the Daytona 500 this coming February. I'm not sure what this is going to entail. I've, I've been wrong make, predicting the future regarding Cook Bush so far this year, so I'm hesitant to make a firm prediction right now. But at this point, Kurt seems like he's got a lot to lose and not a lot to gain by coming back this season, but it's something to keep an eye on. Okay. Uh, 
Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Well, and I was kind of on the other side of this uh, when it came to coming back for the playoffs. First off, you want to make sure he's 100% and medically cleared. Uh, I get that, and if that's where they feel they're at, they've made that decision, and they're doing the best for the team. However, uh, Mike's talking about maybe taking the rest of the year off. I believe it was Jeff Gordon who had retired um, and then came back for, an, for a couple of fill-in races, said just a, a few months out of the car how much uh, you lose when you're not in it regularly. So if you're taking off the rest of this season plus the off season. Now you're talking about his first race being the Daytona 500. If he's healthy, cleared at 100%, I do think he should come back um, and get that experience and get back into the car because all the simulation you do, all the, the testing you do, nothing actually hits it like performance. And so being in the car would give you a true evaluation. Now if he comes back in a race or two and says, okay, I'm not quite, even though I was cleared, that not 100%, you step back out. Um, the other thing uh, I wanted to hit on here, I know Mike said he's not familiar with this split owner and driver championship. We haven't seen it. I I think back to when Mark Martin was running part-time with the in the 01 Army car as well as Hendrick Motorsports. I think his last time we even saw it possibly at the cup level. But it happens in the Xfinity Series occasionally and quite regularly in the trucks. Because with the truck series, Kyle Busch goes over there, runs his own truck, wins five, seven starts, however many he can make, uh, tends to win a lot of them. So that truck is always in the truck owner's championship, but not necessarily the driver. So fans that aren't familiar with it can look back. I know in the RCR has done it in the Xfinity series. Um, it's been a while since, since I think we've seen it in the Xfinity. I know there's been some uh, Penske when they would run multiple drivers in the 22 car. That was another one that was always in the owner's championship. They didn't win it, so it didn't get talked a lot about as far as a split championship, but it could have been. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add here, so I'm going to uh, move on to Tommy's comments. I agree. I think Kurt should just sit out the rest of the year at this point. He's already missed so much, and feel like uh, Junior was out for a long period of time at one point, too, with a concussion. And, um, yeah, you know, I just – I don't really want Kurt to retire yet, but, you know, that was speculation at one point as well. Um, you know, just hope that he gets better and that um, he doesn't retire yet. And because um, he did have a win and would have been in the playoffs uh, this year. So, uh looking forward to seeing him if he does come back, but if he does decide to take the rest of the year off, um, hopefully we'll see him next year. All right. Mike, what do you have for the next hot topic? Well, we've talked about it before, but it's big news again this week. A lot of talk this week about extremely hard hits with the next-gen Gen 7 car uh, coming out of Daytona, uh, a lot of driver audio that was captured during this weekend from the, the, the few big wrecks that we've had. Uh, drivers like Chase Briscoe talking about still being sore days later. Denny Hamlin had to withdraw from this weekend's Xfinity Series race. He was going to run his one Xfinity Series race this weekend. He withdrew from that. NASCAR's acknowledged that they're looking into the situation, but comments from Kevin Harvick today made it sound like he, he doesn't really believe that they're putting anywhere near enough priority to it. And I'm wondering 
is this something that NASCAR needs to move up the priority list, or is it just drivers complaining for the sake of complaining? Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Well, my my first thought is, and I don't know if this has been already discussed internally at the Drivers Alliance meetings or things like that. It seems like there's been a lot of public public statements about it. Uh, I know, obviously, after Daytona, everybody's upset except for the the race winner. Uh, there was a lot of things that d- different drivers and teams are upset about. We see that every Daytona or Talladega race. Um, if there is a concern, I understand the expressing it and taking it to NASCAR. And like I said, I don't know if they have privately. I'm not a big fan of this public uh, outcry with it unless – that they feel they have tried to do it privately and like Mike alluded to maybe that it's not getting attention. I find it hard to believe though that if they they are coming with a safety issue like that, that NASCAR has not already got it as its top priority, having um, such a record of of trying to stay ahead of the game safety wise. So I, I find it hard to believe now, again, as a driver, you know, I don't know how that it was expressed, and I'll just use Kevin Harvick as, as the most recent, as Mike put up, um, if he's taken it to him or he doesn't feel it is being uh, advanced quick enough. But, again, you don't want the knee-jerk reaction. I, I know they've had different things that measure the, the G, uh, G-force and the impacts, different drivers wearing. Uh, they have it in a, in a mouth guard. Um, some of the drivers didn't even want to wear them. So there again, for, for NASCAR to determine it and make changes, they got to have some, some basis for it. So i don't not sure why drivers were refusing to, and it might be a, a driver preference and not wanting that in their mouth, I don't know. Um, but uh, NASCAR is obviously looking into it, and they did compare. They're not seeing the statistics anyway that show the impact is any harder. Now, I know, uh, I think it was Chase Briscoe said he's still using the same seat and everything. So I don't know with this next-gen car if that's not absorbing the impact as we've seen in the past with other cars. I don't, I know the car is designed to be a little more stiffer so that the damage isn't there. Maybe it is that the drivers are taking a little bit more, but I'm not sure then why it isn't showing up on the analytics that NASCAR is using to measure that either. Yeah, this is, uh, Tommy, I'm going to let you go next before I comment. Yeah, I've seen um, a lot of this on Twitter throughout the year from, like, uh, Chase Briscoe, um, Christopher Bell, Kevin Harvick, now Denny Hamlin, uh, you know, Kurt Busch. I mean, so Kurt Busch had a, a concussion from the Pocono practice, and that was, like, a month or so ago now, and um, I mean, they've been talking about the violent impacts all year. So maybe they're just – maybe NASCAR's just kind of shelving it to move it to next year or something to improve in the offseason. Um, but, yeah, I did see where Kevin Harvick said today that he didn't say they were taking it seriously. And I can kind of agree with Jay that I don't think you should publicly blast it like that, but – if that's what they needed to do to get the attention to get this situation looked at, then I do understand. But I don't know. I feel like you could address it betterly or better. Um, so I mean, I don't. 
I'm, I don't really understand the, the stuff with the car that much, but I do know that they're saying that the impacts are more violent in, like, uh, the back-end area. And they've, they've had some aggressive crashes. Like, uh, if Denny Hamlin's sore, I want to know how sore Suarez is because he uh, – that crash looked wicked uh, in the rain for him. I mean, he – turned left and then straight up the track and hit the wall at an awful angle and then got creamed by whoever was there. I think it was Hamlin. So, I mean, I'm sure he's really sore, Hamlin's sore. So, I don't know. They need to look into it, though. But um, I'll wait for the uh, the next round to see what everybody else has to say. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's something that uh, they should be working with through the Race Team Alliance. I agree with you. It shouldn't be something that they're just uh, uh, airing out in the public the way that they are. Uh, I think we all know that those have been really, really hard hits. Um, so, you know, putting a complaint out in public does no good. What you need to do is come with a solution idea as well. So if if the crashes are harder, uh, what do you think NASCAR could do uh, to improve the situation. Uh, if the analytics are not telling them that it's those, those crashes are hard, then I don't think NASCAR needs to look at what's actually happened on, on the track because we've seen some really, really hard tracks. Uh, so even if the analytics aren't showing it, if the drivers are saying it, and we're seeing drivers like Kurt Busch that's out for a month or more, uh, because of a head injury, uh, there has to be some kind of validity to it. But I think they should be working through the Race Team Alliance. I think they need to be taking uh, some ideas, giving some ideas for solutions, and not just doing the complaining. So that's it's not all on NASCAR. Uh, it should be a cooperative effort between the drivers, uh, the team owners, and NASCAR to come up with these solutions uh, to make this a better situation. So that's all I really have to add. Mike? So NASCAR's initial response to this was to point back at their crash data and say, hey, we crashed this car a lot. We simulated crashes, we crashed parts of the car, then we crashed whole cars. And our data doesn't show it. There's no problem here. We're good. And that was kind of the response that they had for probably the first half to two-thirds of the season. I think the article that was posted on NASCAR.com, which you know, by extension we can consider that to be kind of the voice of NASCAR, um, finally is acknowledging that maybe there is a problem here. My concern, though, is the same that Kevin Harvick had. And he was – I haven't heard the comments from Logano, but he was more or less echoing comments from Logano where – the, the general consensus was NASCAR really does not want to address this problem because they put a lot of money into developing this car, and they put a lot of money into promoting this car. And to admit that there's a serious problem with this car and to, it would be to admit that they weren't sufficient in their development and testing, and it's going to cost them a lot more money to fix the problems with the car. So I think uh, that's kind of where some of the frustration from drivers like Harvick, Logano, Hamlin, et cetera, is coming from where they're involved in these crashes, but they get the feeling that the people who aren't out there crashing these cars every week, it's not a high priority for them, which is a big concern. Um, the thing that really has me nervous is we've got one driver out, Kurt Busch. He's been out for, the, for two months now, 
with a concussion, with an open-ended, we don't know when or if Kurt Busch is coming back. That's one driver right now out with a concussion. The concern is you've got drivers, including young drivers like Chase Briscoe and Christopher Bell, saying, man, my ears are ringing a day or two after these crashes. I've got a headache days after these crashes. And we know from data from the military as well as other sports, particularly the NFL, that repeated minor injuries, head injuries, add up. And, they, you know, they might not individually meet the threshold to be considered a concussion, but they don't just go away. It's not like a, a bruise to a muscle where you walk it off a couple of days later, it's gone, and it's like it never happened. They add up. And over the course of a career, you could have a certain number of relatively minor blows to the head that add up to be the, basically the equivalent of having a major, major head injury. And the NFL has seen that a lot with a lot of their retired uh, football players have early onset dementia, Alzheimer's disease. Sometimes it gets violent just by, uh, by nature of, of what happens with the, uh, with, with the brain. It leads to violent outbursts, things like that. So these minor, low-intensity head injuries that it kind of sounds like these drivers might be experiencing, this is something that NASCAR needs to get ahead of, or it could be a legacy problem that they deal with for the next generation of drivers. Jay? Well, I have to go against what Joey Logano, I guess, is who it's being attributed to. I find it extremely hard to believe that NASCAR isn't taking this seriously or doesn't care about its drivers. I mean, that, that is what they, they got to have the drivers in order to have the sport. I mean, that, so I don't buy that at all. And, and if there's a problem with the next gen car, when they talked about early in the testing, when Denny Hamlin talked about a heat in it, they've changed that. They changed their rules for eligibility, allowing Kurt Busch to sit out and still be eligible for the playoffs if he can come back and medically clear it. You don't have to start the race in order to get points. NASCAR has always put driver safety, okay, I'm not supposed to use the word always. Uh, most of the time is always on the far end of safety. So I find that hard to believe. Uh, I understand Joey's frustrated, and if they feel there is a problem and it's not changing immediately, that, that that frustration, they're not seeing action, but that isn't something you can just change. You can't roll out a new car tomorrow. And, and I don't think it has anything to do with the cost or pride in this car that they want to admit defeat or something. It takes time. And you're not going to, we see this before. People get upset when they make a knee-jerk reaction. Well, now you're saying the other way. I, I just don't see it. I, I truly don't believe NASCAR is going, oh, it's your problem, deal with it. I, I don't buy that at all. Tommy? Yeah, I wouldn't think that either, but, um, you know, like Mike said, I mean, I, I watch football a lot, too, uh, along with NASCAR. Those are the two sports I watch the most, and a good example is Aaron Hernandez. That guy never had a diagnosed concussion with the Patriots, and after he... Um, killed himself in jail, they found out that he had CT. And that was – because I watched the Patriots, so I watched that guy play for those couple years. He played in New England, and I promise y'all, he never had a concussion. And boom, he had CT. So crazy. And I have seen where Christopher Bell's been talking about that, and I'm like, that's not good. He probably did suffer a, a mini concussion in one of those wrecks. And um, 
you know, it sounded like Bubba had the breath knocked out of him this weekend in that wreck. I mean, that wreck in the, in the rain, that was a violent hard wreck. I mean, it was going to be the final lap of the race, I think. Or, no, they were, it was 21 laps ago. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know why I was thinking that. But they were pushing towards the end because they knew the rain was coming. And, I mean, it was just violent. And a lot of those guys' audios were not good from the, the impact. But, um, yeah, they definitely need to look into it. And I really do hope NASCAR is. And they just haven't announced anything yet or something. And it's probably, you know, NASCAR is kind of like the NFL. They kind of keep a low profile and stuff. Um, well, I guess um, they'll start doing the NASCAR commissioner like they do with Roger Goodell in the NFL. Okay, I said it before. I'm going to say it again. Um, uh, where is the race team alliance? There is a process in place for dealing with this. I think part of the frustration is that they're not using the avenue that they have in place for dealing this. They're they're making comments in the media, uh, and again, they're not sitting down at a table and working together with NASCAR to come up with solutions. Uh, that's part of the problem. <laughs> so I, I find it very hard to believe. I, I have to agree with Jay on this. And I agree with Mike, too. This is a serious issue. It's not something that you want to keep uh, continuing. But the drivers are as guilty as NASCAR. Okay, because they're not using the proper avenue for addressing this with NASCAR. So I, I think that's what they need to do. Instead of airing it in, in the media, they need to go to the Race Team Alliance and put together a plan for how they're going to address it. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to interrupt myself here to, to make our announcement, and then I'm going to come back to this. Um, we are at that time of the night where I like to uh, let our first-time listeners know that we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but we are going to continue to record the rest of our conversation. So you, when you hear us go off the air mid-sentence, just know that the rest of that conversation is being recorded, and you can hear it as part of our bonus overtime material on the podcast. When we finish our conversation here tonight, I will go out on Twitter and Facebook to let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you just go to the podcast player that we have at fanforracing.com and just fast forward to that two-hour mark uh, to uh, get to the rest of the conversation. So, again, I didn't want anybody to be caught off guard uh, and not know how they can hear the rest of the conversation, but that's it. So uh, watch for uh, that notification on Twitter and Facebook, and then you'll know what to do. Okay, uh, again, I just think that these drivers need to take a step back and just consider uh, what they're saying and, and how they're approaching the problem. They're not addressing the problem. They're just complaining about the problem. And to fully and completely address the problem, NASCAR needs to hear from them uh, in a formal format through the RTA or whatever format there is, uh, I think NASCAR's usually had a pretty open door that if you knock on the door, they're going to open it and listen to what you have to say. So don't air it in the public the way that they're airing it in the public. Use the avenues that are in place and sit down and, and 
uh, explore what the potential uh, solutions are. I don't know what they're expecting NASCAR to do when they just air it in the public. Do you want them to stop racing, to review it, and and uh, suspend racing for X number of races until they fix the problem in the car? What is it that they're looking for from NASCAR? I think that NASCAR is willing to sit down with them. They've said over and over again, every Tuesday they have a sit-down and they review the previous race and things that need to be done differently or what they need to be looking at with the car. So, again, the drivers need to use that avenue. They need to use the uh, a communication process that's going to work for them rather than complaining to the media. That's the way I look at it. Jay? Or, I'm sorry, Mike? I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. For several reasons. One, <laughs> wow, I, I, you sound really surprised. I don't blame you. All right, so reason surprised. one, <laughs> this is not a new issue. It, it, it's, it's flared up again after the, the wrecks we saw at Daytona this past weekend, but it's not a new issue. It's been a topic of discussion for the entire season, and NASCAR had the first response. We don't see a problem. That was their response. We tested this car. We don't have the data. There's no problem with the race car. That was their response. And then that's when the drivers started speaking out more publicly about it because the answer they got was there's no problem with the car. Well, what, what are they going to do now? The other, the other thing I'm going to disagree with you on is it is not the driver's problem. It is not the driver's fault, and it is not the driver's responsibility. They are race okay. car drivers. Let's, they are let's not tone engineers. it down just a they, bit. <laughs> all right. They are race car drivers. They are not mechanics. They are not engineers. They are not the ones who designed the car. They're not the ones who created the rule book that said you but have to run this car in this configuration, et cetera. So it's not the driver's responsibility to say we need to have X, Y, Z changes made to this car. They're the ones who are the ones driving it. They didn't design it. They didn't build it. They didn't mandate it. They're the ones who are forced to drive it. And for NASCAR to say, well, come to us with a solution, they're not the ones who are responsible to come up with a solution. NASCAR, the, the sanctioning body who designed and mandated the car, is responsible for that solution. And, yeah, there is a solution to it immediately if necessary. If the problem is bad enough, and I don't know that we're there yet, but if the problem is bad enough, park the car. Put them in Xfinity cars for the rest of the season. Put them in trucks. Put them on a go-kart for the rest of the season. If there are serious safety concerns with the car to the, fact, to the point where we think drivers have a legitimate chance of suffering long-term, potentially life-changing injuries in this car in the form of head injuries, park the car. Get it right and bring it back in a form that's not going to hurt these drivers. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be take a public relations campaign to make that happen. I think that they can be a part of the solution. They can be at the table and give their feedback and be a part of the solution. They can't just sit back and wait for NASCAR to fix it. NASCAR needs to hear from them, and there needs to, they need to know specifically what problems they're experiencing in that car. Now, I know that they're having injuries, they're being sore, but that's not new. Being sore after racing in a race car is not something that's new, Mike. It, that's been happening forever. 
So they need to sit down at the table with NASCAR and have that conversation about what is different. What is different about these injuries? And they can be a part of that solution. I'm not saying that they have to be an engineer. I'm not saying that they have to come up with a solution on their own before going to NASCAR. I'm saying that they need to communicate with NASCAR at a table and have that conversation so that they can be part of the solution and let NASCAR do their part. But without sitting at that table, that conversation doesn't happen, and therefore the solution doesn't happen. That's what I'm saying. So I agree with you that it's a serious issue. I agree with you, and they need to push for that conversation with NASCAR. So that's what I thought the RTA is for. The RTA is the Race Team Alliance that is supposed to support that conversation between NASCAR and the drivers. So they need to be involved. So that's what I'm saying. It's not that I'm saying that no that they have to be engineers or anything else. So they're it's to, to misrepresent what's being said here is not correct either. Okay, Jay, what do you uh, have for Sh- the next Sharon, topic? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, can I jump in there? I know that was sure. kind of more than a one round there. And I don't know if you saw it. Mike accidentally hit the button. He uh, he dropped off and can't call back in, but he said he'd listen later. Um, it, it's no different than when a driver says the car isn't handling the way I want. It's not turning the way I want. you got to give something more than that to the crew chief. I mean, a crew chief can only do so much other than what he gets for feedback from the driver of how and where and when and why. Same thing with NASCAR here. They're saying the data we have isn't supporting what you have so bring us what you do have and by taking action it was mid-season when they came with this again i believe it's a g-force tester in the mouthpiece that they were having drivers wear that was them showing hey we got to get more data and so we can understand what you're saying is happening and i said i don't remember which one i know one driver they they said did decline to have it it's not wasn't mandatory at this point but that's where it comes in. It's a two-way street, like you're saying, Sharon, um, that you've got to have the data. You know, Mike, Mike was saying, well, NASCAR's answer was the data doesn't support it. If they have no data, how are they supposed to try and fix it? Yes, they're going to bring it to their engineers. You know, the drivers aren't going to be the ones to actually change it. But the information they bring and the yeah. impact of it is what the engineers will then use to make changes and, and adjust. Exactly right. Uh, Tommy, did you have anything that you wanted to add? I think I'm good on this one. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry that that happened with Mike. I guess he hit the mute button or was trying to hit the mute button and hung up instead. Um, So, Jay, let's go on to the next hot topic. Uh, All right. the damaged vehicle clock uh, has been increased to the 10 minutes for the Cup Series playoff. And I don't know if this is a permanent thing. When I first read it, I thought it was for playoff drivers only. I hope that's not the case. That is across the board for all teams because they are still all racing. Um, but it will take effect starting this weekend. The 10 minutes instead of, uh, I think it was up to six minutes that they had the damage 
or damage vehicle policy. They had six minutes to get it fixed and up to speed for a, a minimum time lap is now 10 minutes. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts about uh, increasing that damage vehicle policy from six to 10 minutes? Um, I mean, I guess it makes sense because uh, this is a new car and NASCAR said they felt like uh, the dry, uh, the teams needed more time to repair the cars after after wrecks. So, um, yeah, uh, more time is, I mean, they'll probably go more laps down with a more extended time, but at least the car will go out there and be repaired. Because I, I feel like we have noticed a lot this year where the cars come down pit road, gotten fixed up, kind of went back on track and, like, lost a tire, lost debris, and caused a caution. So, um, which they do that, though, try not to lose laps and stuff. But I guess NASCAR's saying, hey, we're going to give you all more time to fix the car, so that way that's not a problem. But, um, yeah, I, don't, I didn't see where it was just for playoff teams only. But, yeah, that would be, I guess, a, a not fair rule. But then again, um, you know, they made that the rule, but it's the rule, but I didn't see that. Um, yeah, I'll let y'all go, and then I'll, I'll circle back. Okay. Um, yeah, I think this is a good move, and one thing that I like about it is it says very clearly the adjustment is in collaboration with teams throughout the season following learnings on repair time with the next-gen car. So there's an example of collaborating with the teams uh, in order for a change to take place. So, yeah, I do think that uh, uh, that's a good move on their part to give them the 10 minutes to make repairs on their car, and uh, uh, I'm glad to see that NASCAR responded. So uh, they're saying that when they first started in, in 2017, they began with a five-minute repair time. They increased it to six the following season, and now we're seeing an increase to 10. So that feedback from the teams uh, it w is being heard by NASCAR, and they are implementing a change as a result. So, Jay? Well, Sharon, yet, yet again, uh, I, I bring up the topic, and then you take everything I got. But um, oh, I knew sorry. that's where it was going to lead to. <laughs> no, it's, um, you, you're right on uh, that they, they've been watching it, hearing feedback from the teams. Um, there's a couple of things, and I know Brian Eberle uh, tweeted this. You hate to see a change in rules during a season. I understand it's the playoffs. You want the, the best performance, best show out there. And back that up for a minute. Like I said, that was my first thought when I read it or the way I read it. I haven't seen anything that it says it's for playoff drivers only. I don't know where I got that in my head, um, but that was what I initially took from it. Um, but I don't think it is. I think it is across the board. I'm sure it is because it, it wouldn't make sense to do something special like that for playoff drivers only. Um, but so I like the fact that they're changing it. I'm not real sure about the whole in-season. As Brian Eberle said, I know sometimes it is necessary. Um, but also I think back then to you could make an argument, and I'm going to use, say, Martin Truex just because he's the one that missed the playoff by three points. Had that 10-minute window been there during the regular season, maybe there was a race where if he'd have had those extra four minutes, his car would have been better back on the track. Uh, and I don't know that he missed one due to that. I, there's been very few where we've seen where a driver didn't 
meet the uh, damage vehicle policy. I know there was a deal with Bubba Wallace um, at Talladega, I believe it was. That had to do with having to do the lap under caution. Um, but we haven't seen that a whole lot. Now, like Tommy said, though, I think there have been a couple where they got it good enough, made the minimum lap time, but it still caused problems down the road uh, with something not working or the same problem reoccurring. So overall, I like the fact that they're changing it. I understand they want the best during the playoffs and have decided to make this change. But I also feel for, like I said, any team that throughout the year feels like maybe they could have gotten three more points, uh, you know, um, if that had been changed earlier, you know, so it should be consistent throughout the year. Okay. Tommy, your follow-up? I can agree with um, Brian on that a little bit, but um, I also do like to see them tweak it to make it it better. I feel like um, maybe the NFL and NBA has done that before. No, they do it usually before the beginning of the season, but, you know, NASCAR – is a long season. Like the NFL is long from September to um, February. Well, August to February. But NASCAR is from February to November. So, I mean, I kind of see where they need to make tweaks as they go since it's a long schedule and it's you know, a completely different sport. But he does have a point that you don't like to see them you know, make adjustments like that uh, mid-season. Um yeah, I remember the Martin Truex ordeal uh, was fixing the car, and it didn't. I, I, didn't he get in over Jimmy Johnson? Wasn't that at a Daytona race like two or three years ago, a night race? William Byron got his first one. Was that the race you're talking about? Um, but okay. yeah, yeah, I don't remember specifically. I just and, and I, the reason I picked him, like I said, he was the one that was the closest by three points. So. Uh, that's kind of why I was using him. I didn't have a specific incident that it affected him, um, but it certainly could have. I, I don't know. I didn't track that throughout the year. Oh, you're just talking about the most recent race. I'm sorry. Yeah, because he, him and Ron Blaney were fighting it out this time for the, the last spot. And Ron Blaney was in an early wreck, and he was just honestly making laps from what I remember. And he just lucked out this year. That, that was lucky. And especially if Kurt wouldn't have released his waiver then, Austin Dillon would have won, and then both of them would have been out. But um, Kurt, Kurt did a, a, a nice thing and let, let the playoffs continue without him. Um, but, yeah, the damage vehicle policy, uh, it, I, I'm all for it for them extending the time. I mean, it's a new car, and they need to work the kinks out. Yeah, I think both of you guys bring up uh, some really good points. Uh, and although I agree with Brian on a on a general sense, uh, I do think if they're going to make a change, uh, the start of the playoffs is probably a good time to do that, or the start of the next season. But um, uh, the start of the playoffs is is maybe a second choice for when a, a change like this uh, could happen. But um, uh, I I do think that. Um, uh, it's a good policy to to extend it to 10 minutes and uh, give these teams a chance to get their car back on the track, if at all possible. Now, if they're going to, if it's if they still can't do it within that 10 minute time frame and get the car back on the track in raceable condition, and by raceable condition, meaning you know being able to 
maintain minimum speed and, and keep up with the race, uh, then then they need to be out of the race anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I like that they're increasing it. Uh, I do I do uh, hate to see changes happen in the middle of the season. Uh, but this isn't like it's July or the middle of the regular season and they're making this change. Uh, they waited for the regular season to be over so that all things would be equal uh, for that regular season and then made that change for the playoffs. Uh, I don't think it's specifically for the playoff players. I think it's for all of the teams, um, and, and I think it's a good move. Uh, but I do understand the point of making the change uh, it, preferably it would be better to do it at the beginning of the season, but I, I think the next best choice is at the beginning of the playoffs. Jay? Yeah, as I was thinking about it myself, I was like, I think I'm going to have to argue against myself, and Sharon, you, you pointed <laughs> it out. Everybody was under the same box under the regular season, so although mm-hmm. Truex had that opportunity maybe taken away, so did others. So by changing it here between the regular season, the, the playoffs have been established. By changing it now, it really didn't affect anybody more or less throughout the regular season. So I'm more okay with it than when we started this conversation as I thought about it. So um, I, I do still, if it's something that can be waited until the end of the season and make for the new year, would be like you said, first choice. But I certainly, my first thought was, you know, it, it, it kind of screwed, some, could have screwed some people throughout the year. But everybody was in that same box throughout the regular season, so it really didn't, um, like I thought. So I do like the fact of that, with especially with this next gen car, the way it's being uh, worked on is a little bit different than cars in the in the past. So bumping that up, I think it was Brad Keselowski on Race Hub uh, yesterday talked about it, and he said. 10 minutes, maybe even a little too much. If you can't fix it in 10 minutes, park it. You know, and that was from the driver's <laughs> ass. His driver's, driver's saying, hey, if you can't fix it in 10 minutes, I don't want to drive it anymore anyway. So um, that is one of the things that I, I do appreciate the fact that they were watching and said, hey, this is taking more than what we thought. As you said, I know the first year they immediately moved it from five minutes to six minutes. Um, that first year they implemented it to the next year. And now with this next-gen car, I think, is the difference of why they're adding it up to 10 minutes. Um, so I, I do like the rule change because, um, again, you want to have the best possible show. You don't uh, Safety is still a concern. You don't want the broke car out there running around, which is why they implemented it in the first place. But also give them the opportunity to, to at least attempt to fix it and continue and run the best for their season. Okay. Tommy, I believe we still have time for one more topic if you want to give us another topic here. All right, let's see what I can find. Um, Let's go with uh, Jeremy Clements uh, winning the race and then um, getting that penalty uh, served on him. Okay, uh, Jay, your thoughts about uh, the penalty, L2 penalty for Jeremy Clements. Uh, he gets to keep the win, but he's not playoff eligible uh, under the L2 penalty. Well, um, first first thought was it's a tough story to hear 
somebody, a team like that, I understand there was wrecks and whatever, but for them to get that win, the emotion of it, to be in the playoffs, and then have it taken away. If the car's illegal, I fully support the penalty. And I'm not a mechanic by any means, so I know they've talked about it, and I know they are appealing it. Uh, I'm not sure the basis of their appeal, that it's going to go from what I understand, um, because their argument is it didn't make the car any faster. And that don't matter. If it's against the rules, it don't matter whether it made the car faster or not. If that's your argument, you might as well save it. But um, we'll see what happens with the appeal. I feel bad for the team. Uh, again, to get that win and race their women in that manner and then to have it taken away. What I don't like is we're back to this encumbered win. You get to keep the win, but they take away points and you're not eligible for the playoffs on it. And I don't like that. Uh, I understand it was an L2, not an L1. But to me, uh, if the car's illegal, take the win away. They didn't race. Last points. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wish that if it was, I, I know it's an L2 penalty, and that's why they didn't take the race, went away, uh, but they did eliminate his uh, playoff eligibility. Um, and, and like you said, Jay, they are appealing it. Uh, I guess the manifold was just a little bit too short or something, and they didn't feel like it gave them a competitive advantage, according to what I read earlier. I was looking for it on our thread here, and for some reason I can't seem to find it. Oh, here it is. Um, yeah, it was an L2 penalty, and so that's why they they made it an encumbered, or as Mike put it, a cucumbered win. Um, but uh, uh, they did take him out of the playoffs, which opened the door for Ryan Sieg to be in that final transfer spot for the time being. Now, they still have, I think, what, uh, three more races left in the Xfinity Series. So uh, there's still a chance, and I know I mentioned it earlier, uh, he could be looking for redemption at Darlington this weekend or, you know, somewhere in the next uh, three races here uh, to try to get his second chance at getting into the playoffs. But, uh uh, they need to make sure that their car meets the specs. And that's the thing. This was a spec part uh, that is not supposed to be tampered with. And if it was too short, then it's obviously been tampered with. And that's NASCAR has been very, very clear all season long uh, that those spec parts are not to be tampered with. So um, I, I know they're going to appeal it. I don't know if it's to give them extra time. Uh, in order to uh, set up what they need to set up uh, to, to compete. But um, that's something that I think NASCAR needs to look at, too. Uh, I don't like this idea of uh, uh, appealing it and then uh, kind of dropping the appeal once you've kind of got things worked out. Uh, I don't see them uh, getting an approval based on the history that's been established this season on these appeals, especially when it comes to spec parts. I think, I think they're probably still going to not be playoff eligible. So um, we'll see what happens. They're, the story's not over yet. Tommy, your thoughts? Yeah, Stinks calls on. You know, he got I think one win, and this is his second win. So he's kind of yep. like an underdog. He's usually like Brandon Brown, usually. 10th, 11th, 12th spot, playoff guy every year, on team. So you want to pull for him, kind of an underdog. And he gets a win at Daytona, which that Xfinity race was, it was 
that was a disaster. Uh, but um, he came away with the win, and I did see his tweet where he said, you know, it wasn't for even if you know the car was illegal, it wasn't performance based or whatever. It wouldn't matter. He still would have won basically. But you know, still an L two penalty stinks that he lost his playoff spot. Um, and if he did have his win revoked, uh, it would have went to Timmy Hill. So that would have been a pretty cool story. But that didn't happen. Um, he gets to keep the win. Uh, Denny Hamlin, you know, had a win revoked, and he kept the trophy. I don't know why he would even keep the trophy, but um, uh, and Chase didn't want it. But either way, uh, just stinks. But you gotta have a legal car. Jay, your follow up. Well, I know I know you said that this uh, story, the rest of the story, hasn't come to fruition. Like I said, if their whole argument is it doesn't give a competitive advantage, they're wasting their time and money, whatever it takes to go through the appeal process. I, like I said, been around racing, that ain't never going to hold up. Uh, you know, the race damage thing, that gets debated uh, and other things, um, but just, oh, I, I know it's illegal, but it doesn't give an advantage. No, that, that's not going to fly. I, I really hope they got something more than that um, to even try and make this argument. I really don't... Tommy just mentioned it. If you're taking the, the benefits of the win away, whether it be an L2 penalty or not, I, 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 just, I never liked that encumbered win rule, however you want to refer to it. I thought that was kind of a, a mixed message. You know, the car's illegal, but we'll execute the win, but then not the benefit. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's just either you won legally or you didn't. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and I'm with Tommy. I mean, I'm pulling for him. Um, I was happy to see it. Uh, it wasn't my pick or anything, but the fact that that underdog team gets that victory, like I said, it's a great story. It's why these guys race. Um, and I hate it for them that they found something like that, you know, um, but then give it to Timmy Hill because that's the same story, just in a different car. So yeah, I really, really think they should have done that differently. Um, in all honesty. And I don't think they're going to win the appeal if that's their argument. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. Tommy, you were, you were spot on. It was so exciting to see the underdog get that win and race their way into the playoffs. And I was so happy for him. Uh, but on, on the same token, uh, you can't have an illegal car <laughs> uh, going into the playoffs. So, yeah, and that car was illegal, and I, 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 I'm glad they caught it. But I have to agree with you too, Jay. I think they should have taken the win away. I think they should have um, uh, given the win to Timmy Hill because, as you say, there's another underdog. Uh, he came in second, which was a fantastic finish. Why not give him that win and let him get into the playoffs? Um, it would have been an equally good story, uh, but um, you know I, I don't like the, the uh, encumbered win either. I, I was glad when they took the win away uh, from the illegal car before uh, that was in the Cup Series, and I think they should have done it here in the Xfinity Series too. Uh, but <clears throat> because they made it an L2 policy, I'm not sure what the distinction is there. Uh, why that's a little bit different, 
but um, maybe it's the fact that it wasn't necessarily a competitive advantage. I don't know. But um, if it was an illegal part, uh, it was an illegal car. So it should never uh, be given a win in my mind. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it was a great story to begin with. It's just too bad that uh, it had to be, uh, in the end, an illegal car. Tommy? Yeah, nothing really more to add here. Just um, the underdog got the win and then got it revoked, and it just just stinks. But um, got to have a legal car. Yeah, yeah, that's all you can say, I guess. Um, and I, and I agree with you. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and do our roundtable. Tommy, we'll start with you, and then Jay and myself. Uh, at 1075 fan on Twitter, uh, give me a follow. Check out my diecast. I've been posting today's date for a couple months now. Still got a bunch of good schemes to show everybody. And thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I always love those. Uh, that's the first thing I see when I open up Twitter. So uh, I really love seeing all your different paint schemes. Okay, Jay. Yeah, the, the memory, some of those paint schemes have brought back in, in different stories and races. Uh, certainly uh, really cool to see there, Tommy. Um, this week, uh, for me, you can follow me, uh, as always, on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Going to see a little bit different. I'm working Marion County Fair in Tennessee this weekend. Um, so have some coverage and information on the jump and run and some motocross and some monster trucks, I think, is what I'm covering this weekend. Now, Jay, do you live in that Jackson area? Because I saw uh, news actually, on I'm in today the... about the water situation. Yeah, as I, as I mentioned on Monday, uh, unfortunately, Jackson Motor Speedway is underwater, and I know now they're having a problem with it. Uh, contaminating all the drinking water. I know a lot of churches in the area right here from Columbus. I'm about three hours north of there. Um, okay. That their different organizations are getting water together to send down their drinking water and potable water, um, that they are going through more than just that. But, yeah, the, uh, the track itself I know was still underwater last I saw. Um, but the entire city of Jackson is going through some things now as that has gotten into the city water and contaminated it as well. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear all of that. Okay, um, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and uh, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including Facebook and FanforRacing.com. So uh, uh, definitely looking forward to the weekend of racing. The first race of the playoffs is here. Uh, I hope that NASCAR does sit down with the drivers and they have that conversation about those cars because I don't like seeing those heavy hits either. Um, I, I don't like seeing the drivers get hurt, and uh, I do want to see them uh, uh, have a safe situation with this next-gen car. So uh, let's hope that that conversation takes place with NASCAR and they can get that resolved. Um, also, a big shout-out to our listeners. Uh, for tuning in. We appreciate you, whether you're listening to the podcast or our live broadcast. Uh, we hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy doing it. And to our Fan for Racing crew, 
Uh, we have here tonight uh, Jay Huseman, as well as Mike Orzel and Tommy Kraft. Thank you guys for your contributions. Uh, we don't always agree, but that's okay. <laughs> we always uh, can laugh about it afterwards, so uh, we, I appreciate that. So uh, with that, I think uh, we'll look forward to the weekend of racing. Remember to coin uh, Portland and Darlington Raceway this weekend, and then all of the racing over at Flow Racing and Racing America as well. So uh, enjoy your weekend of racing, and we'll look forward to talking to you on the other side. Uh, with that, we'll call it a wrap, guys. All right. Good night. Good night, everyone.